Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 16th, 2023, including I have finally sat down and played Hogwarts Legacy, Windows Central offers a great piece on Game Pass and where it stands in the market, the PUBG company has another new studio forming, tons of updates on the Microsoft Activision deal, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2016, Layers of Fear, released for the Xbox One worldwide. Now, not to be confused with the upcoming, uh, it's not a sequel, I think it's just a re, it's like a, it's like a seek, it's like a re, man, I'm already confused, man, we're two seconds in the podcast. It's a new game, I think it's kind of like a reboot or reimagining, I don't even know. Layers of Fear, the original game, is is having a new title come out, I think this year, called Layers of of fears so now layers is is plural and fears is plural instead of just layers being plural and fear being singular this is this is naming conventions for games in a world where corporations are entirely beholden to seo search terms and for some reason some guy who wears a suit and doesn't play video games thinks that this is the thing you need to do to make the game sell better and and show up better in google search results or some shit i don't Ah, I never played Layers of Fear. Uh, it's just one of those games I've seen on the Xbox dashboard a hundred thousand times as I've gone to play yet another match of Halo Five or Disney Infinity or some whatever crap I'm into. But nonetheless, that's your Xbox game that came out this day in uh, in 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 2016. Wow, I think 2016 is my new. It's my new time period where I just look back. I'm like, nah, there's no way that was. There's no way that was like seven years ago, eight years ago, whatever the hell it was. But uh, yeah, it's okay. You guys, welcome to episode 194 of the Xbox On Podcast. I'm incredibly excited to be here with you today because today I am, uh, well, nothing special today. Sorry sorry to mislead you, but I don't know, I'm just excited to be here. Is that, is that okay? I work a, uh, a regular day job, and this is just the thing I get to look forward to in the middle of my week. It's it's different from my, my job. It allows me to be a little creative and blow off some steam and have some fun and talk about something I actually care about. So heaven forbid, I look forward to this podcast with you guys. God damn it. Why are you guys all such assholes? Why you gotta be mean? Why you gotta make fun of me? Anyway, guys, some of the most notable game releases coming up this week. I'm trying to put this towards the top of the show so we have some hype to kind of lead into each episode. But um, before we get into our update, stories of mild amusement, of which I'm excited to get through with you today because we got a lot of Activision shit to say sense any sarcasm i do want to just point out that this upcoming week we have a pretty notable release coming to the xbox on february 17th this friday did i say next week i meant this week wild hearts comes to xbox yes wild hearts the new published by ea developed by omega force just one of the weirdest team-ups in the history of forever this new ip seems very heavily inspired by monster hunter is coming out. People seem really excited about this game. It looks really good. I don't know. Uh, it's nothing I'm going to jump into right away, but I definitely will 
keep an eye out on this game because I feel like this might be one of those uh, one of those games that catches you off guard. You're like, oh, okay, I know about it, I see it, but then at some point it kind of comes across to you and you have to play, it, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is good shit. Why did I? Why did I go 15 years without playing it? As I say quite often when I go back and tackle my backlog. So I hopefully you know I try it sooner rather than later. But this game looks pretty good. It's just coming out at a busy time. There's too many games. We're playing Hogwarts Legacy, which we're going to talk about extensively this week. I know a lot of you are probably looking forward to Atomic Heart next week, and that's the next big game that's going to totally take my time. So I don't know. I'm Yes, Wild Hearts, you look good. I'm excited to see a new IP coming from some new forces work, joining together to do something interesting. But uh, all eyes are on Atomic Hearts at this point. Guys, let's start this week with an update or a correction. I don't know that this technically counts as a correction, but I wanted to put it here nonetheless because I do think it, it says something that is quite obvious that I just was too stupid to mention last week. But we were talking about Marvel Midnight Suns and the... Uh, the the disappointing sales that publisher 2K had been mentioning regarding this game. And Dead Captain James, famed Dead Captain James, wrote in to say, uh, Marvel Midnight Sun, Sun's probably sold low because it's a turn-based game. I like turn-based games, but this style is the most boring version of a superhero game. When a superhero game comes up, it comes out, people want third-person action games. This is this is true, uh, of course, because, I mean, you, know, you think Marvel in particular, it's such a mainstream thing at this point that, if you're going to make a, a, a game based on a property that everyone is invested in, everyone loves, you probably want to make it a really accessible mainstream genre. Like, I don't know, maybe something like a open world RPG third person action game a la Hogwarts Legacy or something like a first person shooter or a third person action game. You know, these are the kind of more popular video game genres. I think for Marvel, obviously, third person action uh, fits the bill quite well. But that, that always, I don't know, that isn't always enough because you look at like, the only reason I don't point to that and say, well, that's the obvious sole factor is just because you look at Marvel's Avengers from Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics, and even though that game did sell very well and did get a lot of attention, it still was a, a big underperformer. And uh, I don't know, there just there was a lot of, especially among the, the quote-unquote gamer crowd or like the kind of savvy, in-the-know gamer crowd, there was a lot of just... Um, underwhelming kind of sentiment towards Marvel's Avengers. So it isn't all just the genre. So I didn't want to blame it totally on that. Uh, but you are absolutely correct to mention the fact that turn-based, you know, the turn-based genre, as good as it may be, is a niche genre. And, and that, you know, there's, there's no shame in that. It just is what it is. And definitely worth noting when trying to consider why a game may have underperformed. So good thing to note. I appreciate the input. And guys, Let's move in to, I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. We're going to, instead of starting out with all the Activision updates, we're going to put a pin in it, talk about the other stories of Model Amusement, and then circle back to Activision because there's just so much Activision stuff that I, I just feel like it would really kill the momentum of the beginning of the show. So we're going to skip that for now, go into our stories of Model Amusement, and we'll circle back. So let's start with a game that I'm sure is on pretty much everyone's mind because we're all excited about it, and we will talk about it extensively later on the show. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy, our first story of mild amusement, comes from VGC where they note that Hogwarts Legacy has entered the UK charts at number one. According to GamesIndustry.biz reports, according to GamesIndustry.biz, in terms of physical sales, Warner Bros. game was comfortably the best-selling game last week, according to GFK data, and both these sites are European, which is why we're getting European data, so please excuse me. Uh, it also notes that compared to the last uh, major fantasy game release, Elden Ring, Hogwarts Legacy's week's, uh, week one sales were 80% higher than Elden Ring. 
82% of copies were sold on PS5, while the remaining 18% were sold on the Xbox Series X. However, keep include, uh, keep include, keep in mind that this doesn't include digital sales, where GamesIndustry.biz notes that the Xbox digital share Xbox's digital shares tend to be much higher than their physical shares, partly due to the popularity of the Xbox Series S, which is a digital-only console. Uh, probably also due to the fact that Xbox gamers mostly have Game Pass, which probably makes them more comfortable and forces them to use digital over physical more often. Uh, in terms of the Harry Potter franchise as a whole, however, Hogwarts Legacy's first week of sales marks the best-selling week for a Harry Potter video game to date. That's not terribly surprising, but there is two interesting bits of information I, I think we can talk about here, and I guess we'll just talk about them in the order that they uh, the story mentions them. The first one being that the game, I, just because just I want to put these numbers into greater context, yes, obviously Hogwarts Legacy is doing insanely well. It, we're talking about UK numbers here, but these numbers can be extrapolated basically anywhere in 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 the gaming sphere, anywhere where PlayStation and Xbox are big major platforms, this data can basically be applied there as well, uh, where the game is just completely dominating. It, it, it really is, at least thus far, this year's Elden Ring, where it is the game that is the water cooler moment. I came to work, you know, the, uh, this past week and half my office, which, you know, aren't traditionally like hardcore gaming all day people, are just talking about this game because it's it's the fucking game, you know? I had a buddy of mine who hasn't touched his Xbox in three years and only played place this switch to, to goof around in Pokemon calls me up and he's like, Hey man, uh, you think I can borrow one of your Xboxes this week so I can play that new Hogwarts game? It's, it's one of those games. It's just making everyone come out of the woodworks and suddenly want to get their hands around a controller to experience Hogwarts legacy, to experience a Harry Potter virtual world, which is a, a phenomenal, awesome thing. It's exciting when this kind of stuff happens because it's one of those, it's one of those properties that can bring people into gaming and help, help share, uh, just kind of how amazing and impressive and artistic and just how just how insanely unique and impressive gaming has become. I feel like a lot of people, especially people who don't game regularly, have a very uh, have a very rudimentary understanding of either what they thought of games back in like the 80s and 90s, you know, like the kind of stereotypical, like, oh, SNES, and then they have the concept of like Call of Duty and shooting people's faces off. But, you know, modern gaming in particular is, is we've come quite a, quite a long way. And I think uh, if you're someone who's deeply into Harry Potter lore, but not necessarily a gamer, and you sit down and play Hogwarts Legacy, you might be surprised to see just how, um, just how, just how rich this medium of interactive storytelling and gameplay has, uh, just how, so how impressive it can be and how much it can offer that you can't get out of books or TV or movies, etc. So I don't know what I'm really saying there just to say, it's always cool to see a game that pulls non-gamers more in, into the ecosystem so that they're exposed to this great thing we all know and love. So that's the first thing um, I also want to say. Oh, yeah. Part of the reason I think why Hogwarts Legacy can just smash Elden Ring's week one sales, uh, I, I think you have to kind of look at the, the context around them because... Hogwarts Legacy is pulling people from all over because they want to play the Harry Potter game. Elden Ring was a game that's like, you know, when it first came out, I think a lot of people were like, yeah, I'm not super into Souls games, but obviously there's a solid base of Souls fans, you know, Souls type fans. And uh, so I think what happened with Elden Ring is it reviewed very well and it sold very respectably at first. Uh, because that base of people who like those kinds of Dark Souls, Bloodborne type games all bought it, sold very, very well. But then within, within those opening weeks of Elden Ring being on the market, word started to get out that this is like an extra, extra special game. And so the game started blowing up bigger and bigger and bigger post that first, second week on the market. So it is a little bit of a tale of two stories because, you know, Hogwarts Legacy... People are coming to the table not necessarily because they heard the game is phenomenal, but because they want to play the Harry Potter game. It just so happens that the game is pretty good. Um, so a little bit of a different 
a difference, which explains those numbers. The other part that I think uh, demands a little bit of a little bit of clarification or maybe some reflection is just this this drastic difference in copies sold, where it talks about eighty two percent of copies sold were on PS five, eighteen were on Series X. So yes, you're you're you got you got to assume of all the modern Xbox hardware out there out there that there are more Series S's sold than Series X's. That's always the way it goes. Cheaper hardware always outsells more expensive hardware. That's basic economics, okay? But that that just that massive gap, 18 to 82%. That is astonishing. That is absolutely astonishing. Yes, it doesn't include sales data and Series S sales were probably all were of course all digital, but I don't know. I just feel like that that number is uncomfortably wide. And we will kind of get back to what is so kind of alarming, not maybe not necessarily concerning, but alarming about that number when we get into our main topic uh, for the the main news segment later in the show, uh, because we're going to talk a little bit about Game Pass and how it's affecting sales and kind of how the Xbox market is being trained to interact with games differently as a result of Game Pass. And I feel like this might be a little uh, a little something worth highlighting so we can circle back to it when we have this conversation later on in the show. So I'll put that there. But nonetheless, Hogwarts Legacy doing insanely well. People seem to absolutely love the game. And like I said, we'll talk about it with, when we get to the what I've been playing in just a bit because I have been playing Hogwarts Legacy and I'm very excited to get some initial thoughts out there on the game. All right, next up, VGC reports that Ubisoft have announced details on the first cross-play test for the upcoming free-to-play game, X Defiant. Now, I had to include this here because I feel like no one is talking about this game, and it is a game that actually deserves to be talked about. Uh, continuing on, it says, Having held several insider sessions for PC uh, players last year, the latest playtest will see Xbox Series S and X, PC, and PS5 users being able to play together from February 16th to the 20th. So, thir- what is that, Thursday through Sunday or something? Uh, participants will be able to sample four game modes on, in 13 maps, including a new battleground called Pueblito. Usually I'm better at Spanish than that. Which is set in the fictional Caribbean nation of Yara, introduced in Far Cry 6. The game was initially revealed in July of 2021 as a Tom Clancy X-Defying game. At the time, it only included characters from Tom Clancy's uh, franchises like Splinter Cell, Ghost Recon, Division. But by March 2022, Ubisoft announced that they were dropping the Tom Clancy branding and introducing characters from other Ubisoft IP. So hopefully we don't get Rayman in this game, but it's possible. And X-Defying is in development from Ubisoft San Francisco and led by executive producer Mark Rubin, who we note because he previously held the same position at Call of Duty Modern Warfare Studio Infinity Ward. Uh, the game also has plenty of Call of Duty veterans working on this game. Plenty of pro Call of Duty players um, sitting in as uh, consultants on the project. Uh, the game is set to be released for Xbox One, Series S and X, and PC with full cross-play at launch. However, we still don't have any kind of release window or time frame as to when this game is coming out. The reason I bring this one up and, and give it so much atmosphere and so, so much time is because I've played this game multiple times. I think I've played it on two or three different sessions with Kronky. We have we have downloaded the the beta or insider whatever thing on PC. We've played it a handful of times. This game is very good. I suck at it. I get my ass kicked every time I play it, and I don't prefer to play mouse and keyboard. So I, I'm looking forward. To, so I would actually like to get a chance to play it on Xbox. But the game is very good. Um, I don't I don't know that it's like something that would take me away from Modern Warfare or something that would take me away from Halo. But it is, uh, I, I cannot imagine, when I play this game, I cannot imagine there's not a strong market for a game like this. I think the biggest problem X Defiant has is Ubisoft has a bad reputation right now, and X Defiant is a god-awful name. But if you give this game a chance, I'm telling you guys, if you give it a go this weekend, you can play it on Xbox, see for yourself, man. This game is very good. If, if you like Call of Duty, 
You'll like this. It's like Call of Duty, but a little more tactical, a little more strategic, a little more thoughtful. Um, to some people that may be a pro, to some people that may be a con, but judging by the success of Modern Warfare over the other Call of Duty sub-brands, I would say that's a success. It's a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I this game feels right. It's like it's just the kind of game where I feel like if you put Call of Duty on the box instead of Defiant X or whatever it's called, um, it, it, it might garner some real fanfare. I just, I'm worried because the game has been in such a full-fledged state for so long. Like when you play the playtest on PC, like I, like I did a couple times last year, I noticed like this game has a really robust a number of maps and it feels really polished and really content complete yet somehow it's still in this like cannot be dated or 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 highly marketable kind of uh can't, sorry they can't give it like a, a proper release date or, or a window so I just feel like this game is ready to go. They're just kind of holding it hostage um, until the point where I guess it can release in like kind of a 2.0 phase or something, which, you know, hey, I respect that over the alternative, which is what most games do these days, release in somewhat of a beta phase and then just ask for forgiveness as you day one patch your way through all the inevitable mess that the game has. But this game just feels ready to go, and I just really don't know what's holding them up. But this definitely seems like a step closer towards a world where we maybe get a release date and get some more concrete information on the game so i'm looking forward to that uh but a little a little frustrated just to see that this is still a game we talk about every now and then but it just seems like a vague uh pre-production concept that's still very far away from happening when in reality it's a pretty like marketable content complete free-to-play fps game that i think has a lot of potential to be competitive um it's just you know ubisoft needs a win so bad right now and there's not a lot of fanfare surrounding their new free-to-play efforts and multiplayer games so i think this game has an uphill battle to fight but if if they can just maybe shadow drop it kind of do like a hi-fi rush or an apex legends deal with this and, and get people to just shut their fucking mouths and try the game day one i feel like they can really capture an audience because this game is good it has the potential so anyway that's it for our stories of Mall Amusement. I should have noted it's it's a slow-ass news week. We don't have too, too much to get into aside from this Activision stuff. So we will now circle back and go into the Activision updates of the week. We don't have as many as we did last week, but we have three of them. So let's dive into those real quick, and then we'll talk about the games we've been playing, which basically means Hogwarts Legacy. We'll talk about food we've been eating, we'll, and then we'll jump into the big news, the big mamma jamma news. I'm just afraid that because it's such a slow news day. I'm going to upload this podcast tomorrow morning. The next box is going to be like, surprise, we're buying Disney World and Taco Bell. And I'm going to be like, fuck. But anyway, our first Activision update comes from VGC. I think they all come from VGC, but let's get into it. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick has accused Sony of trying to sabotage Microsoft's takeover of the company. It's been claimed. Reports say that PlayStation chief Jim Ryan has stopped talking to both uh, at Microsoft and Activision CEO Bobby Kotick. The executive is, has been talking to the press this past month as competition authorities in the UK and EU and in the US continue to scrutinize and raise objections to the proposed $69 billion acquisition from Microsoft. For context, in the latest development, the UK's Competition Markets Authority previously uh, provisionally found the deal could reduce competition and result in higher prices, fewer choices, and less innovation for UK gamers. Speaking of the Financial Times, Bobby Kotick expressed concern with ideologues and saying that they were taking over agencies and claimed that Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO and other executives have stopped returning calls from Activision and Microsoft, saying, quote, suddenly Sony's entire leadership team has stopped talking to every, anyone at Microsoft, and I think that it is all Sony just trying to sabotage the transaction said Kodak. He added the whole idea of we were not um, that we were not going to support PlayStation or that Microsoft was not going to support PlayStation is absurd. In response to the request for comments and from FT, Sony Sony said 
We are in contact with Microsoft and have no further comment regarding the private negotiations. Kodak went on to state that he is optimistic that Microsoft's acquisition would close by July of 2023. That's crazy. Let me say that again. Kodak went on to state that he was optimistic that Microsoft's acquisition would close by January 2023 this summer, noting that its fight with the FTC, Microsoft had hired lawyer Beth Wilkinson, who was previously hired by the commission in 2012 to lead a probe into Google. She feels, quote, she feels like if she's going to have to litigate against the FTC, she'll absolutely crush them, he said. Okay, let's put a pin in that because the next part is also about Bobby Kodak, but for a completely different reason, uh, although I guess it is actually kind of related, but hear me out. So keep in mind, Bobby Kodak, bad guy. Not not good person, not good manager, not good leader. Obviously, he's run Activision well from a financial and from a business standpoint because Activision went from absolutely nothing to a behemoth of a company under his long, long leadership reign um, that, that still goes on to this day. But the man, not so great. <laughs> Go back in time two years, look at all the, uh, the stories coming out, uh, the yelling to the secretaries, the waving the wand for uh, harassment and uh, discrimination. Uh, charges under his leadership in his place of work and uh, the lack of resources and outreach and care for employees who were mistreated or unfairly passed up for promotions, et cetera, et cetera. Not, not a great leader to say the very least. I think we can comfortably say Bobby Kodak, probably not the guy we want running our place of business. You know, if you think about where you work and on <laughs> where you go to work on a day-to-day basis, you probably wouldn't want this guy being your CEO. But nonetheless, he comes out kind of heated against Sony. I think to some extent, you know, you can understand why it's a frustrating situation when everyone's just trying to get this deal done and Sony and the um, CMA and all these people who are just kind of annoying and being pedantic are just trying tooth and nail to make sure this deal doesn't go through. And I think I've I've made some really impressive strides into actually gunking up this deal and potentially, I I mean, we've talked about on the show and I think a lot of people listening probably in agreement based on feedback we've gotten. If you had asked most people like, a year ago, I think everyone would have been like, yeah, like 99% chance this deal is going to go through. Everything's going to happen. But you ask people nowadays, I think there's a little bit more of like a 50-50 kind of tepid response to this deal where it seems like Sony might have actually done enough damage and brought enough awareness and gotten enough people in- involved and to where it's possible this deal maybe does get contested and held up in court to the point where Microsoft eventually just drops it, pays the kill fees, and is out. So I don't know, although I, I, I you know, we all kind of hope it just goes through and goes away and we can all move on with our lives. But nonetheless, we do live in a reality, I think, where it does seem more and more plausible that this deal could maybe not go through. CEO Bobby Kotick has a significantly vested interest. It has a lot of reason, has a lot of skin in the game when it comes to wanting this deal to go through. So if he's going to talk to the press about this deal and about what's going wrong, he probably is going to throw a PlayStation on the bus. He probably is going to seem overly confident that he's on the right side and that this deal is going to go through and that everything's just a bunch of unnecessary road bumps that are gunking up the system, but not preventing it from happening, just delaying the inevitable. So of course he's going to come off that way because he has a vested interest. He wants to get that money. He wants to have that legacy of he built Activision up to be this powerhouse of a massive corporation and then handed the keys over to Microsoft, made shit tons of money for the shareholders, and then gets all of his bonuses, all of his uh, severance packages and whatnot, and gets to, as we, as we said back when the deal was first announced, his, his golden parachute out of the company and into a uh, cushy, I mean, beyond cushy, uh, continuation of, of, of a life of luxury and elite living status. So obviously, there's a reason why a guy like Bobby Kotick probably is at this point 
you know, really overly defending his stance. And I don't think this necessarily speaks to how likely it is that the deal is going to go through. I think if anything, you can just kind of read the <laughs> microaggression, uh, uh, just uh, the, the um, I don't even want to say passive aggressive because it's, it's pretty much just aggressive the way he's, he's just like, these guys don't talk to us anymore. They're kind of holding things up. They're the problem, blah, blah, blah. And how this, you know, you could tell they're frustrated. They want this deal to be done with. They want this stuff to be over with. And it's just constantly getting held up. So Bobby Kodak is now accusing Sony. You got to think, though, I, I guess the reason why this is most notable is you got to think with this being such public information and, and just so many bridges being burned here. Obviously, these corporations probably never really much liked each other to begin with, especially Microsoft and Sony. But especially when you look at like Activision and Sony, like that that partnership matters. That relationship matters. So for a Jim Ryan and a Bobby Kodak to not be on talking terms is kind of bad because let's say this deal doesn't go through. Let's say all goes worst case scenario. Microsoft doesn't get Activision or whatever. PlayStation and Activision have a really big marketing partnership, and Call of Duty is always associated as a PlayStation game these days. And it wouldn't be very good for the future of that marketing deal if maybe PlayStation burned their bridges with Activision. And now, you know, obviously, I think there's too much financially on the line to not have Call of Duty on PlayStation. That's never going to not happen. But I don't know. Maybe maybe if this goes south, if this deal doesn't pull through, maybe that marketing deal with Activision goes back to Microsoft after all these years. And now they have a strong, you know, at the very least, what we get out of this deal not going through is a stronger unity and relationship between Microsoft and Activision and more of a wedge driven between Activision and PlayStation because it seems like definitely bridges are being burned um, in this deal without a doubt, although it just doesn't make sense financially. You can't be a Bobby Kodak and explain to your shareholders why you're just not putting <laughs> Call of Duty on PlayStation anymore. That's not an option. So regardless of the beef between these two people, business is business, the, ga the game will remain on PlayStation. That's not what I'm trying to suggest, Or, um, but... Let's get into the second part of this because it's still Bobby Kodak related. Uh, VGC also noted that Kodak is expected to remain in his current role as um, should Microsoft's proposed acquisition fall through, reports claim. In fact, the Wall Street Journal reported uh, to sources uh, back in January of 2022 um, that Kodak's plans, that Kodak told his plans to the outlet um, and they were expected and that they expected the controversial CEO to leave the company back then. Now, while there's still been no definitively confirmed uh, confirmation on whether or not this is actually going to happen, Fox Business now reports that Bobby Kodak will stay as CEO if the deal breaks down. The publication claims that the uh, that sources close to the situation uh, have said that Kodak will absolutely remain the gaming giant's um, leader to run the company should the regulator derail plans of the Microsoft takeover. Despite reports suggesting Kodak is expected to leave Activision Blizzard once the deal is done, the company claimed that a report in a report to shareholders in April of 2022, Kodak didn't discuss his plans before the acquisition's announcements, and he still hadn't up to that point. Quote, no discussion or negotiation regarding a post-closing employment arrangement with Microsoft even occurred between Microsoft and Mr. Kodak prior to the approval of the ex, uh, execution of the merger agreement, and that the transactions uh, contemplated thereby or have occurred subsequent to such approval and execution through the data here of very, uh, very normal people speak. That was uh, from the report. Now, Kodak had come under fire following November 2021's Wall Street Journal reporting, which was, uh, you know, the reports we just talked about, the sexual misconduct, allegations of workplace harassment at Activision Blizzard, uh, in that under his leadership, there was an enabling of toxic workplace culture uh, at the company. So, just to, be, just to be clear about this, I mean, if we want to get tinfoil hat about this one, we have some really business 
journal kind of uh, outlets reporting how like, hey, Bobby Kotick could still be CEO if this deal doesn't go through, knowing that that's an unpopular take with the public and trying to maybe this could be one of those things where corporations are working with their buddies in the media to try to drum up a certain narrative to try and build this uh this air of like hey guys if the activision microsoft deal doesn't go uh go through the thing we don't want to happen is going to happen and bobby kodak will stick around and not leave the company and that's not very good maybe we need to change the public perception and be more in favor of this deal going through that's a little bit tinfoil hat you know to kind of draw you know connect all those dots where they may not be but it it it's the first thing that pops out in my head. So I just feel like I got to put it out there, even though I don't necessarily believe what I just said. Uh, but listen, this is a, I guess this is a thing that's like, no one's really had to talk about or consider for over a year at this point, because we've been so it, knee deep in these conversations about the CMA and the FTC and Sony and Microsoft and Activision that we've kind of forgotten about all the stuff that Activision was going through right before this deal was announced. And now we're at this point where it's like, hey, we don't want uh, Bobby Kotick <laughs> sticking around. And the longer this deal doesn't happen, the longer he has to stick around. And if he doesn't, if this deal doesn't go through, uh, there, there's no plan laid out for him to leave. And it seems like everything just kind of goes back to the way it was in 2021 and beforehand. So I don't know. The, t- make of that what you will, I guess. But I just want to put that out there. And then finally, this this one's a, a quicker update. But VGC also reports that Microsoft is set to present their arguments for why its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard should be approved at the European Commission hearing on February 21st. So in just a few short days here, what is that? Next Tuesday, I believe. So we're going to get some update information on that fairly, certain, fairly soon. We should talk about it. We should be able to talk about it on next week's episode. The oral hearing, which won't be public, will allow Microsoft to address the statements and objections received to the EU uh, last week's warning about the possible anti-competitive effects of the deal. A spokesperson from Xbox maker Microsoft confirmed the date of the hearing to uh, Reuters was on will be on this upcoming Tuesday. Uh, and there we go. I just um, it just had to, the story just corrected my own mistake. So it is a private hearing. So we probably won't hear about this exactly after it happens. It's more likely that we will start to hear about this through reports in the weeks that follow this hearing. Um, you never know. Maybe we do get some information kind of somewhat shortly afterwards. But it's maybe more likely that we'll have to wait for some uh, digging and prodding and reporting before we get any kind of information of what is said and shared and what the kind of outcome of this event is. So we'll just put a pin in that because I feel like that is going to lead us to the next nugget of like actually interesting moving the needle kind of on this deal uh, that we've kind of been waiting for because it really ever since the holidays kicked off, it's just been a a little bit of a stalemate with this whole deal. Just a lot of speculation, op-eds conjecture, things like that. And so we're waiting for something substantial. And I think we're about to get it. I think we're getting close is what I'm trying to say. All right, guys, that's it for all of our opening segments, stories, model music, blah, 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 blah. Next, we will jump into the what I've been playing this week and then into the actual news. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. Now, guys, I want to keep in line with last week. We talked about Cheetos Asteroids and I want to I want to talk about something else, a different chip, if I may be so bold. Guys, can we talk about Terra chips? I, I'm just curious if anyone knows what the fuck these are. I have seen these all my life, um, and I, I picked some up at Sam's Club the other day, and I want to know, what are your guys' takes on Terra chips? So they, they market themselves as <clears throat> vegetable chips. I think they're trying to be like a little like uppity and healthy with their branding, but at the end of the day, it's just glorified potato chips. But Terra chips are basically... What if we didn't limit potato chips to just potatoes? We used other root vegetables. So it is a bag of chips, but it has potato, sweet potato, 
taro, parsnip, yuca, batata, all these different root vegetables chopped up, fried, salted, just like a potato chip, but it's a mixed bag with all of them. And I actually love these things. They are, they're a little harder and they have more of a satisfying crunch, kind of like a kettle cooked chip. They're kind of, yeah, kettle cooked that style, I would say. That's how they kind of come across. But each chip has a different color and a different flavor and a different design. And I enjoy them quite a bit. Girlfriend, on the other hand, she hates them. She thinks they're terrible. I take them to work because I'm excited to eat them this week. My coworkers, they think they suck. They're making fun of them. They tell me they're gross. They tell me the, these these potato chips are going to make your insides black. They're gross. It's you know, they're gross. They're cardboard, uh, artificial food coloring, all these things. And I, I just got to put it out there. Has anybody ever heard of tar, uh, Terra chips before? And what is the climate on them? I, I do think it is. You know, I, I think it's a little lame. They try to market themselves as like this, like health conscious, like upscale alternative to potato chips. They're essentially just fucking potato chips. Um, I don't know. Maybe if sweet potato chips are better than regular potato chips, but you know, processed, salted, prepackaged garbage is prepackaged garbage. I don't. I don't really care what what root vegetable you're using to achieve the same end result. But I like these. I think they're fun. I think they're different. Do I take them over? You know, your classic Doritos. You know, or fucking whatever you get. What, what are the best chip brands? We ever talked about this. Doritos are obviously the best. Pringles are god tier. Some types of Cheetos are phenomenal. I think Lay's are overrated. Ruffles are solid. I don't know, man. What what are the best chips? Some chips are pretty good. But I don't know. I think Terra chips are really good. And I feel like they never get involved in the conversation. They're a little hard to find. Not every grocery store carries them. So I wanted to put it out there. What do you guys think about the Terra chips? What kind of sandwich are you eating it with? You know, maybe a little sourdough with a little bit of fucking some, some pepper turkey, a little bit of provolone, some deli mustard. You put some spinach on there, some, some maybe some arugula. You got some mayo. You got some tomato, a little salt and pepper. I don't know. I feel like if you're trying to... If you're trying to have a good sandwich situation, maybe Terra chips are a way to jazz it up a little bit. So you're not just eating fucking grilled cheese or PB&J or some kind of basic bitch sandwich like that. So that's it for what I've been eating this week, guys. A little underwhelming, but I've just been thinking about the Terra chips because I, I feel like it's something I hadn't had in like 15 years. And then suddenly this week I end up buying a bag of them and it's just on my mind, okay? It's on my mind. i got to talk about what's on my mind. Next up... Let's talk about what I've been playing. Let's talk about the video games. I think this is what everyone's here for this week is to talk about Hogwarts Legacy. Real quick, we'll talk about Hogwarts Legacy, but I'll just get this out of the way so we can talk about Hogwarts Legacy without having the other thing in the room. Gotham Knights, I, I, I talked about extensively these past two weeks, so I will not get into that. I finally beat Gotham Knights. I rolled credits on it. I really like this game. I, I, I just I don't understand what the hate is for this game. Yes, the performance is a little rough. Yes, it's kind of inexcusable that it doesn't run at 60 FPS on the Xbox Series X. Yes, there are a bunch of things I don't love about it. The, the story is super goofy and campy, and the writing is super goofy, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's really unique, and it's interesting. Uh, the gameplay is super fun. I, I liked all the side major side quests. I finished all of them. The whole game took me about 25 hours to beat, and I really enjoyed my full playthrough. I only played as Nightwing, um, but I, I think this game is a great get. I think if you see it on sale for... 30 40 bucks and you're mildly interested in it i think you're probably gonna find at least something like about it it's overall pretty pretty good game so that's gotham knights i'm done talking about it just because we've talked about it so much these past few weeks um and then i also played a little bit of halo infinite because they have that new seasonal event uh that new playlist with the forge created old school maps from previous halo games pretty badass so I, i've been playing through that working on that new little uh event pass but that is all secondary to the other game I've been playing this week, which you all know what it is, Hogwarts Legacy. The game came out officially on Friday, although it was an early, it was available three days early if you bought the expensive edition of the game, but 
I did not do that. I downloaded it the day it came out after work. Uh, eager to play just because the early feedback had, se- had seemed to be so positive, and it, it really made me excited that not only is this game, you know, a game that faced so much unnecessary backlash and had so much hype going into it, but despite all that obnoxious discourse and all the all the things that could have gone wrong, the game ended up being a pretty great product and really satisfying fans, which which makes me happy. Now, I should clarify because if you listen to the show for an extended period of time, you probably know I've made fun of Harry Potter quite a few times on this podcast. So why did I buy Hogwarts Legacy? Why am I playing Hogwarts Legacy? What does what that to do with me? If Well, if you think I'm one of those guys, it's like I bought Hogwarts Legacy for 70 US dollars because I wanted to stick it to the go, the, the, the woke people that are, that are screaming about the trans. No, literally none of that. None of that at all. I bought Hogwarts Legacy because Hogwarts Legacy is developed by Avalanche Software, uh, which is a team that for the longest time was owned Salt Lake City, Utah based team for the longest time was owned by the Walt Disney Company. It was Disney's like in-house proprietary uh, developer. And they used to make a lot of licensed movie games. They made Cars 2, Cars 3, the video game. They made the Toy Story video games. Ultimately, they ended up making um, their magnum opus, uh, which was Disney Infinity, which was the Toys to Life game series that ran from 2013 to 2016. Disney Infinity is still to this day one of my all-time favorite games, and I have such an affinity, uh, no pun intended, for for this team. I got, I got it's just one of those developers I got really invested in. Like I learned a lot about the people, the faces behind the studio, the history of the studio, playing all their games, kind of getting a feel for their work. And you know, as a as a big Disney fan, as a big fan of licensed movie games and tying games and double A games, there's something about Avalanche Software that always really spoke to me because I always felt. That the thing that shined through their games is yes, you know, if you don't know any better, if you're not like into the into the scene or you're not very invested in double A movie tie-in licensed games, you might not know this. But one thing I always stood out to me whenever I played an Avalanche software game was despite most of their games being licensed, short, short development window, low budget movie tie-in games, this team always had a consistent and impressive ability to put together a really fun game despite the time constraints, despite the budgetary constraints. They always put out a solid product. And I think when it came to Disney Infinity and the reins were kind of let loose and they had support studios and more budget and more time and more freedom to kind of create whatever they wanted and less of this kind of arbitrary lineup of like, hey, you have to have a full-fledged Moana game out in time for the Moana movie or whatever, you know? By the time they got to that point, I think that's when they really started to shine where, yeah, I mean, you pick up the Cars 2 video game and like any fucking licensed movie kids game you know had bad voice acting and kind of no story and just kind of like what the fuck is this but you see that at the heart of it underneath the small development team the low budget and all that was a lot of really adept game development a lot of like we know how to get to the core of good game mechanics or fun world building or whatever the case may be and that's something i think uh, Avalanche Software always had an act for. So needless to say, in 2016, uh, when uh, everyone's lord and savior, the bane of my existence, Bob Iger of the Walt Disney Company, announced that he was shutting down the studio, firing everyone, getting out of games altogether because he has no imagination or, or patience to learn how to lead a fucking video game development studio or find the right people to do so. Um, they decided to basically just pull out of games. They canceled Disney Infinity. They shut down Avalanche Software fired everyone. I remember it was such a terrible, terrible day. I was literally at Disney World on vacation when it happened. And I'm just like on my phone checking Twitter. I followed so many of the developers that had worked on Disney Infinity. And it broke my heart just seeing all these people like, hey, this I put my heart and soul into this project and now I'm without a job. And it was just that was a rough that I remember that was like one of the 
one of the big video game stories that ever really impacted me because it was just like, like I don't work there. I don't know any of these guys. I don't work in the industry, but it sucked for me because I was a huge fan of these guys and it felt like kind of an underdog thing because it wasn't like, it wasn't equivalent to like being a fan of Bungie or being a fan of Infinity Ward or being a, fun, a fan of Bioware during like the Mass Effect 2 days or anything like that. It's not like this big name studio that everyone knows and has some kind of experience with. It was a studio that like, I know a lot of people overlook these guys, but I personally had a lot of appreciation and admiration for them. So it sucked. Oh, sorry, my phone's blown up. So it, it's it really hurt to see that and to and, and to watch these guys kind of fail just because stupid corporations suck at being good at the things they should be good at, like the Walt Disney Company and their perpetual inability to be even remotely in touch with how to do video games. And it seems like they'll never get that right. That's a that's a huge missed opportunity that they're okay with, I guess. But that is all side point and just experiential, tangential bullshit, just so I can say. The reason I bought Hogwarts Legacy, despite my lifelong hatred of Harry Potter and my feeling that this, I, I just, I've never liked Harry Potter. I think the universe is cringe. I think it's lame. I think the characters are embarrassing. The story is not cool. The, the, the world is not impressive. It's just really European and kind of weird and kids running around eating beetles and fucking swatting flies and shit with snakes. I, I don't get what this, what this world's about or why people like it. But when, when the news was announced later on in 2016 that WB Games had swept in and said, no, we're not going to let Disney shut the studio down. We're actually going to go over to Disney, offer them some money, swoop up the team, buy Avalanche Software, and rebrand them as a WB team. I was elated because even though you know Disney Infinity was still dead and they weren't going to be making fun Disney games or the things I liked, I just knew that you know the team still gets to be together. They still get to exist and have their jobs and get to create video games. And so ever since that happened in 2016, my I, it's been all eyes on all eyes on whatever these guys do next. And so Hogwarts Legacy is the first game that they are putting out under the the ownership of WB, their first non-Disney game. And not only is that the case here, but it's also the first time this team has been given a proper budget and development timeline to be able to make something big. You know, not not just some licensed movie tie-in garbage. This isn't just Harry Potter movie for the licensed video game tie-in for every platform, including Nokia phones and Game Boy Advance. This is this is like the Batman Arkham trilogy, or 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 like um, uh, the Shadow of Mordor games, where it's like, no, 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 we're taking an IP and we're going to build a beautiful from the ground up game that is respectful and contributive to this world that everyone knows and loves. And we're going to make an actual game that plays into the strengths and, uh, and, and uh, capabilities of gaming. And so Hogwarts legacy excites me because it gives avalanche studios the ability to exist again. It gives avalanche studios the ability to really hone in on their, on their technical capabilities and their artistic capabilities and really create something that's triple a for the first time. And it gives Harry Potter fans something to really be excited about and look forward to. And like, you know how badly I'd shit my pants in an alternate universe where Disney kept the studio and gave them seven years and $200 million and said, go, go make a triple a Tron game from the ground up or a triple a pirates of the Caribbean game. Go fuck off for seven years and do that. Like, I'd pee my pants for the rest of eternity if something like that happened. It'd just be amazing. So I'm happy on behalf of of Harry Potter fans. I'm happy on behalf of Avalanche Software, and I'm super proud and excited to be able to support this studio. To me, like I, it seems weird, kind of like getting excited about it, but like to me, it's like it was really, it was really a cool moment for me to be able to buy another Avalanche Software game 
in 2023, something at one point I thought I'd never get to do again. So to just be able to say, fuck you, Disney, here's my $70. I'm supporting this team that you tried to shut down and put these people out of a job. And now they're making games that are far, you know, far more well-respected and higher received and and just culturally just massive than anything they ever created under Disney because the team's being given the time, the money, and the capability to really do what they can do best. And I don't know, to me, I just see Hogwarts Legacy as a really great, huge success story for this team, and it makes me very happy. Um, So that is my reason, despite really not liking Harry Potter at all, for being so, like, such such an excited, big proponent of Hogwarts Legacy. And that's why I bought it day one. That's why I've been playing it this past week. And you know what? Despite the fact that I'm not a Harry Potter guy, I'm actually having a lot of fun with this game because even though I do think the world is weird, like, like not, no spoiler, I promise. I'm not, I'm not going to spoil any of the game, but like, just like there's like this scene early in the game where like you get into this carriage that's going to fly you off to Hogwarts. And it's so goofy because I understand the world of Harry Potter. It's all like, Oh, wizards and spells and magic. And the little guys dressed up like a little 18th century European man. He's got his little reins and his little reindeer or whatever that pull the carriage are all like invisible. So like he goes like, ha ha. And then like the little carriage goes flying up into the sky so they can go to Hogwarts land. And it's like, it's just, to me, it's like, that's not cool. That's not like in fucking Star Wars where they take off in the spaceship or something. It's not like RoboCop or some shit, like a guy in a metal suit that looks awesome or something like that. It's like, this is just cringy. It's just some freaking European men just floating. It looks like a, it looks like video game assets like glitching out and clipping through the world or some shit. But it, it's stuff like that that I'm just like I, I don't I don't understand how people like dedicate their entire personality to this this franchise. It's just goofy to me. But I don't I don't I'm also not here to be an asshole. I just I just can't help but laugh because to me I don't get it. But that's not what's important because at the core of Hogwarts Legacy is a lot of the DNA of prior Avalanche software games from my experience. I feel like that's the that's the insight I, I can offer when talking about playing this game. You know, someone who doesn't really love Harry Potter and isn't going to nerd out and be like, oh, they got they got Truffledore and, and Gryffindots, just like in the movie, just like in book seven when Voldemort confesses his love to Hermione. It's like, I'm not going to be able to pull those connections and have those nerd out moments because this, this franchise, I'm just not that educated in it. But I am going to be able to tell you other things like the combat in this game is phenomenal. The combat in this game feels so good. And honestly, that's the part that they could have fucked up easily the most because solely doing that wand magic spell combat could be a little like, you know, it could be, it could be a little basic. It could be a little lame, uh, especially without it being something more safe. Like, I don't know, like turn-based combat. Uh, but they did a phenomenal job with this game and making the combat so fun, changing your little spell load out and matching the colors. Like, oh, this, this character has the, the purple thing. So you got to use these kinds of spells to combat them. And then you can chain different spells to, together. And when you're like doing your basic spells and attacking enemies, there's like a weightiness and a connectedness in, in the combat that feels so good it's almost like in God of War when you're smashing things with like your axe or your hammer or whatever where you feel that connect where your spell like hits into the character and it's it's a really satisfying combat loop I find the game to actually be insanely fun when you're in combat um, sometimes the combat's actually a little challenging I'm, pl- I'm only playing on normal mode and it's not I'm not like struggling my ass off or anything but it's it's a little more dynamic and and I don't know. It's a little more involved than I thought it would be. You it, you definitely have to learn how to parry. You definitely have to be more thoughtful with your your attacks. You can't just button mash. And if you die in this game, 
it just looks like Dark Souls. It's like you have failed the Hogwarts mission or whatever the hell. And it looks like the you died screen from Dark Souls. Like this game's it's not fucking around with you when you when you play in this game. So I really appreciate the combat. I think that's my favorite thing about the game for sure. I also think the presentation of this game is phenomenal. Like the character face models look insanely good. The world is beautiful. The lighting is great. The textures, the details. For an open world game, I think this is one of the better looking open world games I've played in a while, especially coming fresh off the heels of Gotham Knights, which despite how much I like Gotham Knights, that game does not look good at all. Hogwarts Legacy looks very, very good. Um, so it's really, again, another impressive thing to be able to see this team that traditionally had to work with a low budget to make licensed tie-in games not get to really go all that in with amazing graphics or anything like that. Their strong suit traditionally would have to be strong art styles to kind of make up for lack of visual fidelity. This game has visual fidelity. It looks good. Um, you know, save for like a couple weird like performance things like when you're opening doors, like sometimes it will have to load for a second in between just opening a random door uh, or something like that. The game basically looks and runs beautifully. I played on performance mode or I've been playing on performance mode the five hours I've been playing the game. And so I'm choosing the 60 FPS 1080p over the 4K 30 FPS and the game looks great. It runs great. It's smooth. The frame rate is locked. Another thing I'll say about this game is I feel like it's been a while since I played a game at launch that has just had no issues. I know there has already been a first week update that fixes something. I don't know what it is because from my experience so far, the game runs great and I have no issues. I've seen like a couple little like graphical glitches, things that don't impact the game at all. Like during a cutscene, one of the guys was talking and there was like a little triangle texture that just like popped in and out for like two seconds. But nothing, nothing bad, nothing like, oh my God, it's just like I, I, the, my Harry Potter keeps floating through the, through the, through the sewers. And then every time I try to get on my Gryffindor, I, I fall off and I die. It's not, it's nothing ridiculous or game breaking. It's just like, yeah, I saw like, a graphical pop-in one time for a second, stuff like that. So the game looks great. It's very polished. It's very fully put together. And if anything, that was actually one of my concerns with this game because it is targeting so many platforms with it coming to not only current-gen hardware, but also last-gen hardware. It comes to Xbox One and PS4, I think, in April. And then this summer, it's supposed to come to Switch. God help us. Anyone who buys this game on Switch, I fucking pray for you because even though they did a great job with the Series X and PS5 version of the game, I don't have confidence they'll be able to really pull this thing off on Switch, but hopefully they'll prove me wrong because so far it seems like they proved a lot of people wrong with just how well this game runs, how good it looks. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, in, I'm still in the early hours of the game, so I don't have too, too much to dive into other than to say with all that other crap about the way it looks and runs and my, the reason why I came to this game in the first place. I will say, just kind of going off the first hours, m my gripe with the game is definitely how slow-paced it is to kind of get you, let you loose into the world and let you into the action. I think it does a really good job of, of tying the Harry Potter tropes into gameplay things. Like, you know, it has that, like, semi-RPG thing where it's like, you got your student life aspect. So, sometimes your quest is you got to go to class, you know? And sometimes it's like, or they, they find a really good way to uh, teach you the basics and the controls of the game through um, the narrative elements that happen at the very beginning of the game, which I won't spoil. Um, and I, I think the game does a really good job of trying to have, build a creative, unique story within the Harry Potter universe, while also really complementing it to the, like, the, um... The conventions of gaming. I think that's one thing the game does really well. However, it just feels like the first two or three hours of the game is really just tutorializing uh, absolutely everything. It's just getting to Hogwarts a little bit of a drag, 
getting to your first class is a little bit of a drag. Getting to Hogsmeade so you can get outside the castle and kind of explore the open world a little bit, a little bit of a drag. And there's just so much story and setup kind of in between all these little elements that by the time you finally get into the open world, it's like, wow, I feel like I've been playing the game for quite a while. So that's a little bit of a gripe. I understand maybe, you know, I think that, I think it ties in quite well to the narrative, and I think it might be helpful considering this game is going to attract a lot of not, you know, very experienced video game players because it's an IP like Harry Potter. It's going to attract just so many different types of people. So maybe it's a good thing, but for, you know, for someone like me who's played games like Hogwarts, you know, it's not, it's not a groundbreaking game. It's just, it's a single player, open world, third person action RPG game. So it's not like I haven't played a game like this before. So sometimes I feel like the game is holding my hand a little too much and walking me through, through a little bit too much when what I really needed to do is just kind of fuck off and let me explore. So I will say that is my early on gripe with the game, although I can feel it. You know, I'm about five hours into the game now. I can feel it starting to ease off and let me kind of do my thing a lot more now than it was, especially two or three hours ago into the game. But yeah, five hours in, that's really all I have to say about the game. I'm just super excited that people are loving this game. I'm super excited that Avalanche gets to have this success story. The game is doing very well. I, I the, the, the team gets to be together and make another game together and show that they're a really capable and adept developer. And honestly, this is a game that's going to put these guys on the map. You know, pretty soon people aren't going to remember these guys as the Disney Infinity Cars 2, the video game guys. They're going to remember them as the Hogwarts Legacy guys. And that's going to give these guys opportunity to, well, oh, I mean, you assume whatever they do next is probably another Hogwarts Legacy game. Unfortunately, that's just how gaming works. You kind of get tied to your thing for like 15, 20 years before you can do anything else. But at least at some point in the future, this kind of gives them the freedom and the ability to kind of take on other projects that are AAA or, or really high caliber and be able to do some other things because, um, because you know, for a long time, this was seen as kind of like a four hire AA licensed game studio. And now they're kind of seen as a AAA self-made uh, studio that is really capable of making great games. And, I don't know. All around, this is just a huge success story for me. It's it's nice after after seven, eight years uh, to finally get to see these guys just have a big win, and I'm excited. The game is good. I, I'm thinking about when I'm not playing it. I haven't had enough time to play it as much as I'd like, um, so I'm looking forward to playing it a lot more this weekend. And um, yeah, that, those are my initial thoughts on Hogwarts Legacy. Um, a couple of you guys wrote in on Hogwarts Legacy as well, so I thought we'd go through your comments here and see what you have to say, and then we'll address the elephant in the room with with Hogwarts Legacy, just because I guess we gotta say something about it. Um, although I maybe don't have too much to say um, in that regard. So our first comment on Hogwarts Legacy comes from Headhunting Halo, who says Hogwarts Legacy, if it came out last year, would be would have been my game of the year for sure. I have about 34 hours into the game already, and it's really fun. I <laughs> Wow, that's impressive. It gives us a chance to shy away, uh, shine away from all the shooters, sports, RPGs, and turns itself into something really I've never played before. And I can say it's going to be a heavy hitter in, the 20, in 2023's lineup of games. I'm at work, and all I can think about is this game. Also, I'm eating Taco Bell for a while, and I've been sick for three days, food poisoning. Can't even think about eating for a while and I got that stupid Mexican pizza ate four of them probably <laughs> it's all that's left over in the bag no one else wanted them and cheap ass I ain't wasting food I love what a what a crazy left-hand turn that that comment takes but um head hunting halo I hope you're feeling a lot better this is a few days ago you left this comment so I'm hoping you're feeling a lot better now and you're back at it but um <laughs> shout out to Taco Bell and yeah, you're absolutely right. This is if this game came out last year, 
the only other competition it really would have had would have been like God of War and Elden Ring. Like this game would have been such a welcome game last year, um, a year that for a lot of people was seen as a pretty slow year, especially up until that those last few months. It was a mostly slow year. So I feel like if Hogwarts Legacy could have hit like a early spring, summer-esque window of release last year, oh my God, it would have dominated 2023, um, the discussion in video games, no doubt. But um, unfortunately it is coming out early in a year where we have 8.2 million amazing looking games coming out you can't really go like more than two weeks this year without something big coming out but um glad to see you're really enjoying it head on to halo the other person that wrote in on hogwarts legacy is redo vandal who says so i got a few hours of gameplay into hogwarts legacy this week and i must say the game delivers i was expecting bugs crashes so far it's been great in that department storyline is also original given how overdone the harry potter ip has been uh but the devs inst- uh, instills the enrichment, the enrichment feeling in the game, like flying on your broom and breaking through the trees, uh, tree canopies in the Forbidden Forest. To whom has played will probably understand. Uh, I'm just now getting there, so <laughs> uh, almost. Although I probably should have read this comment sooner because it seems like you're addressing a lot of the things I, I, I had to talk about as well. Uh, as though much as I agree, a lot of the games probably don't really need open world. Hear me out in, when in. Hear me out and try it. Avalanche accomplished it, but overall, this was an impression. Uh, overall, this was my impression on the game. And also, update on the Switch. Looking at it and ignoring the next gen capabilities is pretty. It's pretty decent. Not groundbreaking stuff, but it does what it's supposed to do thus far. The games are fun. It just feels like appropriate gaming device and not taking itself too seriously. Getting the, to enjoy Mario Sunshine Galaxy is enough for me. Hell yeah, Mario Galaxy, best game of all time. Respect. And you also said Mountain Dew hot sauce question mark. Uh, if you're gonna do Mountain Dew hot sauce, uh, do it based on Baja Blast. I th- that's that's all I'll say about that. And then we'll circle back to your Hogwarts Legacy comment. I agree. Uh, there are too many open world RPG games in this in this day and age. Uh, Hogwarts Legacy is not one of them. I think Hogwarts Legacy is exactly the genre it needs to be. For for Harry Potter, it's exactly the game it needs to be. Harry Potter needs exploration. Harry Potter needs development harry potter needs a socializing school life kind of uh element to it and all these things i think encapsulate what people love about harry potter because people yeah harry potter has drama has suspense it has action it has you know those kinds of things which obviously lend themselves well to video games but the thing people love about harry potter isn't just that people whip out their wands and start wagging them in front of people's faces people also like harry potter because they love there's that like comfort and that just that thing people resonate with so much where they they see these kids going to school and having these leading these social lives and I think it's a thing everyone kind of relates to because we are at one point or another all school-aged people who have social lives and go to school and experience that and the, the thing I think that makes Harry Potter so special for people is taking that mundane shared experience that just literally everyone has with school in making it something that is extraordinary, making it something that is unique, something that is fantastical. Uh, I, I get that that's the appeal of Harry Potter. You know, I make fun of the floating reindeer and the British men, but obviously I, I understand that that's what's so special about 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 Harry Potter is this castle, this wizarding world, this, this taking our mundane and um, boring world, like things like banks and schools and villages and making them these fantastical enchanted places with witches and wizards and spells and magic and creatures makes it makes makes the mundane familiar world uh very imaginative very creative and very engrossing and i i understand that's what people love about it so 
so yeah, I, I agree completely. As, as much as the open world thing is kind of overdone, like I, I didn't necessarily need my Halo game to be open world, although surprisingly they did quite well with Halo Infinite. Um, I think there's no better genre for Harry Potter than what we got here with Hogwarts Legacy, an open world, third person, narrative-based action. I mean, maybe the only other genre that could lend itself as well for Harry Potter would be like an MMO, which is just another type of like subgenre of what this game already is. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree. They nailed it on the head and yeah, same here. I was expecting bugs, crashes, modern gaming issues, and this game just kind of delivers. It's really quite impressive. Um, I think someone else wrote in about Hogwarts Legacy, but the comment came like right as I was recording, so it might be down later in the comment section of the podcast, but we will get to it. But guys, that is it for our opening parts of the uh, podcast, what I've been playing, et cetera, et cetera. Let's take a quick break, and we'll jump into our uh, eh, disappointingly short news week, um, but we'll, we'll go through that, make the most of it, and then uh, round out with some comments and get the hell out of here. So we'll be right back to talk about the news. All right, so next up, we're going to do something a little bit unconventional for this podcast. Um, our big news story this week, it's not really even a news story. It's more of a really great editorial piece that Jez Corden over at Windows Central wrote up. And I want to just kind of, t- I, try, I tried to cut out as much of it as possible just to kind of shorthand it so we can just kind of talk about it and analyze it and, and build off of it rather than just read his article and then drive traffic away from something he worked really hard on. So I highly recommend you go over to Windows Central and read this article yourself. It's a good read. Um, but so I try to condense it down to the essentials, although it is quite lengthy still. And I want to just kind of get some audience feedback, do some of my interpretation and thought and build off Jez's ideas because I think some really thoughtful stuff about Game Pass ways it's kind of not talked about a lot that I think we need to consider and kind of the implications of what Game Pass means for the industry and et cetera, et cetera. So lots of interesting stuff I think we can um, gain from from just kind of going through this. Um, And the reason why this is the top story is because really there's not a whole lot of news going on. Um, We do have a little bit of news about Crafton having a new game development studio forum and uh, some NPD numbers. But other than that, it is a slow news week. So I feel like between... Hogwarts Legacy being out and being really exciting to talk about that and then this and just kind of having this conversation about Game Pass. I feel like that's kind of what's going to make this story this or make the podcast this week. And then, of course, your wonderful comments. So bear with me, if you will. Uh, I think this will be quite a fun conversation, at least if I can uh, read through this without stuttering a whole bunch and then not have my brain freeze up. But here we go. Um, So from Windows Central, this is written by Jez Corden uh, over right there. Does some great work. Hosted the Xbox Two podcast. If you're looking for another Xbox podcast to check out. And uh, it reads this. So, Xbox Game Pass is under the spotlight, and it's not necessarily positive. Recently, Microsoft began its correspondence with the UK regulatory body known as the CMA uh, over it, the issue of a CMA issue, a set of concerns in response to Microsoft's acquisition of Activision, much of which which has revolved around how it could impact Sony's PlayStation market leadership position. Regardless, that's not exactly what we're here to discuss today. However, today, we look at Microsoft's comments to the CMA in response to the examination, namely with Xbox Game Pass, the model which serves as the vehicle for its cloud gaming aspirations. On a monthly subscription, Microsoft offers hundreds of third-party games in the service. However, contention revolves around the fact that it includes all of its exclusives, many of the best Xbox games, as day one entries, which means that users can skip paying 70 bucks of a full-price game for essentially a $10 a month subscription of all access. 
For years, people have wondered if the service is too good to be true and if Microsoft is simply burning cash. Microsoft has claimed that Game Pass in, is viable publicly, going as far as to tie executive bonuses to the growth of the service. However, Microsoft's recent comments to the CMA seem to run counter to the previous claims about Xbox Game Pass's impacts on game sales, leading to a flurry of headlines across the games industry. So examining exactly what is being claimed here and what it could mean for Xbox Game Pass's future and by extension Xbox itself, the flurry of scrutiny was triggered by Microsoft's own comments in the discussions of the CMA over Microsoft's Activision Blizzard act acquisition attempt at least, wherein Microsoft admits that Game Pass hurts full game sales, which seemed, which seemed to run counter to Microsoft's gaming CEO Phil Spencer's comments that Game Pass boasts Game Pass boosts retail sales. At least that's what the headline suggests. But when you dig a little deeper, there was a pretty notable caveat. Gamesindustry.biz refers to the comments Spencer made back in 2018 with regard to sales being boosted by Game Pass. He said, quote, when you put a game like Forza Horizon 4 into Game Pass, you instantly have more players of the game, which is actually leading to more sales of the game. I think it's pretty notable here that Phil Spencer said, like Forza Horizon 4, which is, of course, a, is the nuanced aspect of the discussion that has escaped some of the discussion. Indeed, from conversations Windows Central or Jess Corden has had with Microsoft, it seems to be multiplayer games that and co-op oriented games that have seen the boost from Xbox Game Pass inclusion rather than your typical single player games. To the CMA, Microsoft admitted that Game Pass leads to redacted, quote, decline in retail sales of games without adding specifics. So pause for a second, we're talking about Forza. Now you see a boost in sales and playership from Game Pass because multiplayer games draw large swaths of players who play for extended periods of time and then can spend money on the back end through expansions and microtransactions and cosmetics, etc., etc. However, now we're shifting gears and trying to examine it through single player games, which are more of a one and done experience, generally speaking. And to that point, as Windows Central points out, in this CMA filing, Microsoft kind of admits to that as there's a redacted comment about the decline in retail sales of games uh, without adding specifics as it relates to Game Pass. And the quote says, Microsoft, this is from the CMA filings, Microsoft also submitted that the internal analysis shows a redacted percentage decline in base game sales 12 months following their addition of Game Pass. Obviously redacted meaning that they did not include that number or that piece of information in the filing because it's proprietary information is personal information that could uh, be harmful or sway the company one way or another for many purposes. They can't just include that information. So let me read it again. Microsoft also submitted that its internal analysis shows a redacted percentage decline in base game sales 12 months following their addition to Game Pass. Microsoft's internal documents recognize that adding Game Pass, t adding titles to Game Pass would lead to cannibalization cannibalization of B2P games with B2B being buy-to-play games as opposed to the commonly referred to FTP free-to-play games. The debate here revolves around the CMA wanting to protect Sony's market leadership position, which the CMA fears could be harmed by Call of Duty's inclusion on Game Pass to worry that Call of Duty may sell less retail on PlayStation if it can be acquired for less via Xbox Game Pass as opposed to whether or not Game Pass is a viable business model. So what they're talking about here isn't necessarily that Xbox sells fewer games when they put it on game pass because people just wait for game pass but rather that if xbox buys 
a, a publisher as big as Microsoft and gets a game as big as Call of Duty, it might even go as far as to make people stop buying Call of Duty on PlayStation because they can just get it through Game Pass, which is kind of a tired conversation we've had before, right? But nonetheless, this is what they're going with. This is what the CMA is kind of taking as a big contentious factor and something they got to push back against. In a statement to Eurogamer, Microsoft skirted around the subject entirely, declined to acknowledge or deny the claims to the UK regulatory body. When accessing viability, sorry, when assessing viability, we need to look at the, a few verticals here. Microsoft doesn't share Game Pass subscription numbers. However, outside a few major milestones, the last official figure we received was around 25 million subscribers. Rumors suggest that behind Microsoft's projections, although Microsoft asserts that the projections are in, intentionally aggressive, Axios reported that Xbox Game Pass targeted a 78% growth in the year 2022, but in reality only achieved a 28% growth rate making it 50 percent off make uh that's insane missing 50 percent of that uh, that targeted growth regardless growing the xbox game pass ultimately doesn't matter if it isn't profitable microsoft is a business at the end of the day and at events speaking candidly xbox sources have asserted that game pass is profitable without offering details on how that is measured game pass isn't all about the subscription despite what you might assume game pass is supplemental as an aspect to the entire ecosystem of products and i think that's how microsoft views it internally while it talks about profitability there's been an indication to me that many users have been saving money on game pass and will continue to spend on other aspects of the Xbox experience as well, which again sort of contradicts the cannibalization argument. 25 million uh, users is tiny, ultimately. The market of gamers exists in the billions, and Microsoft's goal with, is to yield Game Pass as a carrot at the end to get users to buy on the Xbox stick. Sheer value alone is not enough, however. What matters is exclusives, culturally significant content that are exclusive to Xbox, which Microsoft is lacking right now. And then here's the wrap up. The good news, however, is that both of these barriers aren't unbreakable. Microsoft's acquisition of ZeniMax is likely to bear its first fruits early, later this year with Starfield, which could be heavily marketed alongside Game Pass. Microsoft does want to manage, uh, if they do manage to land Activision Blizzard, they'll have games like Call of Duty and Diablo 4 to place along Game Pass as well with marketing, boosting cultural relevance, credentials in the process. This is a big Xbox Game Pass moment that seems to lead to the kind of viral virality will boost sales of games and even retail. And even on other competing platforms, I suspect we'll have some hard data to show that what might look like for Starfield when it launches later this year. So a, a lot of a lot of different avenues to take this down. I kind of wish I highlighted some more different aspects so we could just jump off a few times with different points and kind of have the, the discussion. So I, I guess we can kind of start at the end here. It, it, it is unfortunate that Starfield isn't out yet because I think Starfield will be that kind of case we need because if the CMA is saying, well, it's not that blah, 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 Xbox can't own Activision. It's just that we think Call of Duty is so significant that if Call of Duty is on Game Pass, what does that mean for the sales of the game on PlayStation? It's just too bad that that we don't have something like Starfield being on PlayStation to kind of compare uh, so they can have that example of a game they acquired releasing on both platforms being exclusive on Xbox or being um, a Game Pass exclusive on Xbox and then still selling really strong on PlayStation because we're not going to be able to have that kind of comparative factor, which we would have if, if, if Starfield were to release on PlayStation. 
I guess the closest thing you can look to as an alternative would be Minecraft, you know, because Minecraft is huge. Minecraft is always going to be huge on, on PlayStation. It's always going to be on PlayStation, but it's a Game Pass title on Xbox. Minecraft Legends and Dungeons are Game Pass titles on Xbox, yet Minecraft still continues to do really well on non-Game Pass platforms. It's a little bit of a straw man to some extent because obviously Minecraft was out long before my, oh, long before. Game Pass, Minecraft is much cheaper than your average $70 game. Um, the Minecraft brand had been established on every platform well before Game Pass. All these different factors kind of make it a little null and void because otherwise that would be the argument that Microsoft could really lean on would be Minecraft. Um, but we just don't have that clean example. Between Starfield and Minecraft, we're missing some key part of the argument that would exactly duplicate and exemplify what the intentions are with Call of Duty because Call of Duty is going to be a game that needs to install itself that needs to create a relationship with the players by selling you know selling the product to the consumer in order to be experienced and played on Xbox or PlayStation um, whereas you know Minecraft is like a service that's just there and Starfield is no longer going to be a PlayStation game, so we won't get to see how it does really well on PlayStation despite also being on Game Pass, uh, as would have originally been the case if, had Microsoft not bought Bethesda, although that game wouldn't have come to Game Pass day one. So between those two caveats, we don't have the perfect example, but that that's the thing is like we're trying to, not we're trying to, but I, I guess we're looking at this this CMA concern, and I, I'd say concern loosely because, God, it just feels like they're grasping at straws about how the reason why Microsoft shouldn't be able to buy Activision is because is because it's going to cannibalize sales of games on PS5 even if it is, you know, still available to the PlayStation ecosystem. That's that's just silly. I I think the bigger the bigger talking point here is just kind of this thing about Game Pass. I see Game Pass in a position right now and especially so so much so because last year was such a rough year where you could you could imagine a world where Game Pass starts to really like the cute factor of Game Pass starts to really wear off. It's like, okay, guys, where are these fucking games? You know, where maybe it takes a Starfield or a Perfect Dark or something to kind of kick in and and like light up Game Pass in a way it's never been lit up before. Because really, the biggest releases Game Pass has ever had, honestly, the biggest release Game Pass has ever had, period, to this day, is Halo Infinite. And Halo Infinite had a free-to-play multiplayer component and had a lot of controversy shortly after its very popular and very positive initial response and and, and, and uh, reception. So what Game Pass desperately needs are some heavy hitters like Starfield to come out the gate because that's what's going to kind of make or break and continue this growth for Game Pass because right now Game Pass is in a situation where I could see a future where Game Pass has to go away and then we all talk about like how great Game Pass was and all those glory days of Game Pass and it was a great service it's just ah, the games weren't there yet but they would have been if Game Pass had just launched a few years later I could see an alternate reality where everything worked out differently blah 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 blah, blah. as a Windows Phone fan you could see kind of where I'm coming from but I, I feel like that is a potential historical avenue for Game Pass to go if things continue where they are. However, you could also see a complete different future where, you know, just a few more heavy hitters come out and then we're all talking about many years from now. Uh, remember back in the days where people used to doubt this about Game Pass, people used to say it wasn't profitable or people used to say it would never succeed. Ultimately, Microsoft could just hemorrhage money forever and it didn't matter. But you know, maybe it takes off and has a successful story and becomes like Netflix one day where it finally is able to flip a profit. I do not believe for one second that Microsoft wants to permanently hemorrhage money on Game Pass. I also believe that currently Microsoft is hemorrhaging money on Game Pass. I think people who try to tell you that Micro that Game Pass makes money uh, are either delusional 
or lying to you. And I don't mean that as to, as like an offensive thing to say to people listening to the show who believe that Game Pass makes money. Um, I just think it's so obvious that it doesn't. But the thing is, it doesn't have to matter now. But at the end of the day, it's going to need to start mattering because whether or not the, the way Microsoft treats Game Pass and the way they dictate it and the way Game Pass influences other smaller developers and smaller games that end up in this service, it's going to be entirely indicative of how this can how this service continues to grow or not grow or be received. And so these things do matter whether or not we want to talk about them or not, because you can see a world where if Game Pass doesn't succeed, uh, you succeed in the traditional sense of, oh, now it's profitable and it makes a lot of money. You might start to see a lot of publishers and smaller developers be like, hey, we don't really want to work with Xbox because it's bad for our brand um, if we put our games in, on Xbox because either these are our options is we either put them on Game Pass and um, it, it, it can potentially hurt the optics or the sales of the game on other platforms or we put it on xbox we don't put it in game pass and then the game doesn't sell because the xbox market has been trained to only buy or to only subscribe to game pass and not buy games and so i feel like we as an xbox on audience have to kind of be able to separate ourselves a little bit from the situation because i know myself included a lot of us listening are that exception to the rule where we will gladly pay 15 dollars a month for game pass ultimate and then still buy games on top of that for example hogwarts legacy i just spent 70 dollars on that game gladly and then next week um i'm gonna play atomic heart uh, another $70 game, but I'm just going to get it included in my Game Pass subscription. I'm not going to buy the game. And so this is just like kind of the exception to the rule. There are going to be plenty of people who have Xbox in their approach, and this is probably eventually going to be the majority of people on Xbox where their approach is, no, 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 I have Game Pass, so I only play games that are on Game Pass. I'm not I'm not buying this game for 70 bucks or that game for 40 bucks. I pay $15 a month, and if it's in Game Pass, then I'll play it. And you're training your audience. And so I could see a future, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but you can imagine a future where this becomes an issue where maybe you have like a take two or a Ubisoft game where they're just like, listen, man, we could put this on switch PlayStation and PC and sell tons of copies at $70. But if we put it on Xbox, people are either not going to buy it because it's not in game pass or we're going to have to put it in game pass. And then that might cannibalize the sales on other platforms. We haven't seen that play out yet. We haven't seen that become a thing. This is kind of the CMA's concern, ultimate concern about Microsoft. I still think it's kind of unfounded and there's no evidence that points to it really, or at least not yet. We haven't seen it because, I mean, you look at like MLB The Show, that is a PlayStation developed and published game that has forcibly been put on Switch and Xbox as of recent years. It comes to Game Pass every year as a day one Game Pass title, and it's still one of the top 10 best-selling games in the United States every year because of PlayStation sales. Despite the fact that we all get it in Game Pass, PlayStation players are still gladly paying $60, $70 a year for it. So personally, I don't really think that we have begun heading in this direction where publishers or developers might be afraid to support Xbox because they think that people won't buy their game on PlayStation or Switch or PC. But I can understand why this is a concern, especially for smaller publishers and developers. And I can understand why people might draw a conclusion that this is kind of where we're headed. So this is one of those things where it's like, if Game Pass does not find a savvy way to start blowing up its subscriber base consistently, then it risks kind of cannibalizing, not cannibalizing, but destroying the goodwill of what Game Pass is before it can really fully establish itself and turn a profit and become what it needs to be. Because right now, Game Pass is in this phase of it has a lot of subscribers and it's growing, but it's not profitable yet. 
You know, it's no Netflix yet. And if we just continue on this slow growth path, uh, you know, kind of like what we were on last year at Game Pass, then I just feel like this could end poorly for Microsoft where it gets to a point where it's costing so much money and the growth is never enough to help them turn a profit. And it's starting to train their audience to never buy games. And it's kind of destroying the Xbox brand in a way. Because I believe it. I believe that people are not buying single player games. I do not believe for a second that people bought Plague Tale in a Requiem last year after beating the game on Game Pass. I don't believe it happened. That's a game where people probably got it on Game Pass, played through it, beat the game, deleted it off their hard drive, and moved on to the next game. The only money that Focus Home Entertainment uh, got from, from that game was whatever Microsoft paid them initially to get the game in the Game Pass. And that's, you know, it's a gamble. Like, sometimes in some cases, that might be more than what you would have got selling your game directly on Game Pass or, or on the Xbox Store page. And in some cases, it might be a lot less than you could have made if you just didn't do Game Pass. And so it's going to be a, a struggle. You know, you can see a world where, oh, it's good to have a multiplayer game like Forza in Game Pass because, yeah, people are going to buy car passes and Hot Wheels expansions and they're going to buy currencies and other things and they're going to spend money in the game because you're going to get such a massive wide base of players with this low barrier to entry, just download and play the game kind of approach that people are going to fall in love with the game, get addicted to it and spend money on the microtransactions and not all games will work like that. And if this is the direction we're headed where everything starts to go into Game Pass and people start to really support it left and right and it becomes such a ubiquitous thing, then it might train developers and publishers to think, okay, we can't release games that don't have some kind of microtransaction expansion roadmap thing because that's how you make your money. You sell, you get your initial chunk of change from Microsoft to get the game on the Game Pass, and then you make your money on the back end by enticing players to buy cosmetics and buy expansions and things like that because they didn't buy the game through Game Pass, they just got access through Game Pass. That is a possibility as well. I think we have to consider these things because with Game Pass, in order for this to ultimately succeed, I, I think the key is to have consistent movement and growth. And that's my concern. I'm not worried that Game Pass doesn't make money. I, I'm confident Game Pass does not make money, but that's not my concern right now. My concern would be if Game Pass just kind of remains what it's been the past couple of years for another couple of years. We need to see Xbox Game Pass blow up with some exclusive content that makes 20 million more people subscribe this year. And we need the the service to blow up and become super popular with cloud gaming and things like that. I think right now, Game Pass is largely seen as a way to play games on your Xbox or your PC. And without that, we're just going to keep growing, or, or not growing, we're going to keep stagnating and stagnating. And it's just going to push this... Xbox ecosystem that has a relative install base and gamer situation to what the Xbox One had, except now nobody's buying games. And that's kind of what we're creating. Do you see what I mean? I guess that's the that's the potential danger is that, you know, if the Xbox Series consoles don't continue to sell really competitively and Game Pass doesn't get millions and millions of new subscribers consistently, what you end up creating is the Xbox One generation all over again but worse because now people aren't buying games. They're just subscribed to Game Pass. I think that's a bad situation. So, and then you could always talk about just kind of the basic philosophy of like, well, what is profit? What, what do you mean? Is it profitable? You know, are we talking about profitability based on, are they making money purely off people's subscriptions or is it profitable? Because once you do the numbers of what we're getting on the back end from people playing multiplayer games and buying microtransactions, whatever, there's a lot of ways you could look at it and try to spin it. But I think just in a cut and dry, simplistic way, I do not think they make money off subscriptions. I think that is revenue that gets dumped in back into Game Pass and then some, then a lot of some, to get more games into the service and to operate the service because it ain't cheap doing Game Pass. It is not cheap for Microsoft to do Game Pass at all. 
I just refuse to believe that they are making a healthy profit, especially when you get a game like Starfield. <clears throat> Starfield is going to be available for purchase on Xbox and PC and nothing else. And on both of those platforms, people can just skip buying it for 70 bucks and just go straight to the Game Pass subscription. And so, you know, be interested to see. I, I Like, how are we ever going to get sales numbers for Starfield? I'm so curious to see how it's going to go um, because you can get on Game Pass for PC, you can get on Game Pass for Xbox, and it's not available on any other platform. That'll be insanely exciting to see because I, I feel like if, if we're likely to get any kind of data like that, it would be out of Bethesda. I know we didn't get information like that from Microsoft when Halo uh, Infinite came out, but maybe, Beth I don't know, Microsoft might tell Bethesda not to release that kind of data, but I feel like my Bethesda would be the kind of company to, to some extent, share that kind of information in some, some way, somehow. So I don't know. I feel like I kind of ended up rambling a lot, which is pretty typical for me, but... Uh, I, I find this article to be interesting because it just kind of forces us to think about Game Pass and how it can't just exist as is in perpetuity forever and ever and ever. Something has to change. It either has to grow substantially and continue to sustain growth and, and, and keep that trajectory or we need a I, – I don't know what the alternative is because I, I am confident that people are buying Xbox Series S for $270 and then – getting the game pass subscription and that's it they're not buying games they're not buying expensive hardware um they're just they just got this entry-level console and this subscription service that gives way more value than it asks for in in terms of monetary requirement and uh i just feel like that's not a great place for xbox to hang out in for too long you want to grow that number to where you can start turning the profit and you want to grow the attention of uh of other gamers by making Game Pass a more enticing option for people on mobile and tablets and things like that. Because right now, I think Game Pass is still largely, you know, even though this is all about cloud at the end of the day, and Azure is a big, big moneymaker for Xbox or for Microsoft, you know, Game Pass and cloud gaming and all that is uh, probably not a big moneymaker right now. All right, our second of three stories this week is uh, PUBG owner Crafton. Uh, the South Korean video game holding company behind PUBG, uh, we just said PUBG, is setting up what it calls for its first Canadian AAA studio in Montreal. This is actually quite significant. The studio, which is going to be named Crafton Montreal Studios, is led by Patrick Mithay, Mith a former game director at Ubisoft Montreal. Mithy was best known for directing Far Cry 3, 4, and 5, New Dawn, as well as Rainbow Six Extraction. He's already been joined by fellow Rainbow Six Extraction developers Benoit Frappier, who is production director of the game, and Frederick Duroc, assistant game director, as well as Martin Paradis, who was most recently an advanced gameplay engineer on WB Games of Montreal. Crafton says that the studio will seek to hire 150 more people in the next three years with key positions including animators, programmers, and head of HR. Studio's first project will be a video game adaptation of the Korean fantasy novel series The Bird That Drinks Tears, written by best-selling Korean fantasy no uh, author Yong Do Lee. The in a statement, Crafton CEO uh, Chang Hun Kim, Chang Hun Kim said, "Quote: We are thrilled to open our first Canadian AAA studio in Montreal, one of the world's top cities for video game production. The local uh, pool of creative and specialized talent is impressive, and we hope that many will join our team. Crafton Montreal will be our third North American studio, and we have found here a great leader in Patrick, who has extensive experience bringing franchises to new heights. So I'm completely unfamiliar with this um, Korean fantasy novel series, The Bird That Drinks Tears. Obviously, I, I'm pretty much only exclusive, I'm exclusively familiar with uh, with like Disney and McDonald's value menu. But uh, this is an important thing to note because 
Um, Montreal is such a, a a hotbed for game development right now. You got Ubisoft out there. You got EA out there. You got WB out there. You got a lot of different publishers with teams out in this area. And so there's a lot of competition you can pull from. A lot, uh, a lot of this talent pool you can use to grow. The hotbeds for game development really are, are like, it's like California, Montreal, Texas, kind of like weird places, <laughs> uh, UK, places like that. So this is one of those hotbeds where you can, they're strategically being put here because, well, first of all, game development is expensive in Montreal, no doubt, but it's a lot, probably a lot more affordable than California. And then on top of that, you're strategically placed among some other really high-profile development teams so you can use that to poach talent and help build up your studio. So no doubt that is what this is. I want to give an extra special shout-out to Crafton, though, because they are forming a brand-new from-the-ground-up studio, which is going to be probably a AAA team if they're looking to grow to over 150 people. Uh, In a time where everyone else's move is to just buy shit. So... Shout out to them for not trying to just buy a team, but rather to build their own from the ground up. I think that's awesome. I think that's what this this uh, this industry needs more than just the mass consolidation. is more of a creation of unique creative teams that can do individualized things and set themselves apart from the others. So huge, uh, huge shout out for that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're many moons away from finding out what the fuck these guys, what, what this what this game that they're going to be working on looks like and what the team really comes together and looks like. But they already have promising names at the team and they're already in a promising location. So I'd say keep an eye on these guys because possibly some really good shit on the way from them. Crafton kind of mismanaged uh, a little bit that uh, striking distance with the Callisto protocol last year. Hopefully they'll be, uh, they, they've learned from that mistake and they'll have better expectations when it comes to budget and time and all these things uh, for this studio so that they don't end up making a failure of a game when they're given a overwhelming budget for a game that is going to sell respectable numbers by the sta- by the by the standards of its genre, but disappointing numbers by the standards of its budget. So hopefully they'll learn from that mistake. But nonetheless, it's an important uh, development to keep an eye on. And then our last story of the week is from uh, the NPD Sales Group. Uh, we got our numbers for January 2023, and with that, we know that PlayStation 5 has led the console sales for the month of January with Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 being the best-selling game of the month. Sony's console topped the hardware rankings in both unit and dollar sales and switched second across both measures of Xbox Series X and S in third-party uh, place, or sorry, in third place, according to market research NPD. The NPD also said on Monday that Modern Warfare 2 was the U.S.'s number one game for the fourth consecutive month based on dollar sales, and it held the top spot uh, ahead of Dead Space EA's horror remake that released on modern consoles on January 27th at the number two ranked spot, which is really impressive for only being on the market for like two or three days. Now, top 10 best-selling games for the month of January from 1 to 10 are Modern Warfare 2 at number one, Dead Space Remake at number two, uh, Madden NFL 23 at number three, FIFA 23 at number four, Fire Emblem Engage at number five, Elden Ring at number six, Forspoken at number seven, God of War Ragnarok at number eight, One Piece Odyssey at number nine, and Pokemon Scarlet and Violet at number 10. Notable other inclusions are Sonic Frontiers at number 12, Mario Kart Hate at number 14, because why not? Minecraft at number 15, Need for Speed Unbound at number 16, Marvel's, or sorry, not Marvel, NBA 2K23 at number 18, and NHL 23 at number 20. So Xbox hardware was in last place 
And looking at the top 20, only 12 of the top 20 games are even available on Xbox and zero of the top 20 games are Xbox exclusives. The only semi-exclusive uh, uh, caveat would be Minecraft at number 15, Xbox owned, but not Xbox exclusive and it's Minecraft. So that's uh, not a great look for Xbox, but hopefully this year as we move into it more and more, we'll start to see that, see that switch around, uh, especially as we get closer to Redfall and Starfield. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to gather from this uh, I want to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Hogwarts Legacy fares on this because uh, usually Call of Duty is guaranteed that top spot for quite a while. But I think Hogwarts Legacy will probably be the number one best-selling game for the month of February and will push Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 to the number two spot, uh, maybe even three or four, depending on what else comes out, how, you know, how some of these other... Late launches this month do and perform, although I assume Call of Duty will probably maintain a number two spot. It'll be fun to see how Hogwarts Legacy starts to compete with Call of Duty in these earlier months of the year. So looking forward to seeing that. But that is it for all the big news this week, you guys. Real quick, let's round out with the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We got a few here. VGC says that following a year of delays along the way, Dead Island 2 has finally gone gold, which means the game is in its final build. It's going to the presses to be put into discs and shipped out to retailers. The game is done. It's ready to be sold. But the game has also had its uh, release date moved forward by one week after having many, many, many delays and cancellations. So the game will now launch on April 21st on Xbox and PC. Uh, instead of April 28th. Next up, VGC reports that development on Alan Wake 2 has reached a stage where the game is now fully playable start to back, according to developer Remedy. In comments from the following publications uh, of the studio's latest financial results, CEO Taro Vertalia uh, said that the development of the sequel is going well and that the game is now content complete and playable start to finish. Just need to polish it and get the game ready to go. So that'll probably take about another year or so. That's probably a 2024 game. Next up, VGC notes that Microsoft has detailed Xbox's February update, which is rolling out now. We talked about it a little bit last month, but the energy saving features will be rolled out with this update, which allow the game uh, consoles to automatically be placed in shutdowns energy saving mode option and said that it will cut power use by up to 20 times the consoles are off compared to when they're sleeping. Xbox will also attempt to schedule console updates when uh, the electricity grid is using lower carbon sources, saving you money and being better on the environment. Uh, rather than replacing home background each time player moves to select a game in the background, you can now choose to have a solid color in the background which makes the game consume less power when in use. This is because, of course, Xbox has gone entirely woke, so much so that they have also partnered with Google to let players use the Google Home app to remote, remote control their Xbox consoles because Xbox is so woke. Do not let your kids play Xbox or else they will dye their hair purple and start to care about human rights. All righty. Last one here is from VGC. Double Fine Productions have released an epic-length documentary about the making of Psychonauts 2. Developer uh, Double Fine, uh, Psych Odyssey, is a 32-part documentary which follows the entire development process of the game from original concept to release a finished product. Uh, it is now A trailer for it is now available uh, online and... Yeah, you can look up, look forward to that if you want to watch a 32-part documentary. But that is it for all of our news, guys. Now we round out with my favorite part of the show, the comments, the shout-outs, the YouTube entries. Come over to YouTube.com. You go to the Xbox on Podcast, and you click on the latest episode of the podcast. You can leave a nasty comment telling me why I suck and how I haven't showered in three days and everything I've done has been really embarrassing with my life. And that, honestly, I need to go up a size in pants because my, my tummy's starting to show. Or you can you can just be a nice guy. You can say, I hope you had a nice Valentine's Day. Hope someone said they love you. 
because God knows you need to, sometimes you just need to hear it. Um, but nobody wrote in with comments like that. So instead we got this, uh, the following to talk about uh, new commenter alert. CGD games writes in and says, found you on Spotify. Now you got, now I got you on YouTube. Awesome. As always waving emoji. Well, hi CGD games. I appreciate you writing. In. I appreciate you being here and leave the comment. It means so much. So thank you so much for your support, man. And hope you're having a great day. Uh, compassionate choice responded to that and says, you shall not be disappointed. Welcome to the fam. That's absolutely right. Welcome to the fam. Thank you. Compassionate choice. Uh, also CGD games, uh, immediately after introducing himself and building a, a nice little welcoming name for himself by being the new guy around immediately puts himself in the hot seat by following up with another comment saying Bioshock one and two are incredible games. Bioshock infinite sucked for me. Um, listen, man, to each his own. I'm not, I'm not upset or offended or taken back by that comment at all. You're entitled to your opinions, but just know what you've done to yourself. Just know the kind of, uh, controversy you've embroiled yourself in. You are now officially a JK Rowling sympathizer, uh, oh, I said we were going to talk about that, and I just continued to not talk about that, didn't I? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, Dead Captain James responded to you and said, it's a pretty hot take there. Uh, Bioshock Infinite was a masterpiece, in my opinion, but I respect your opinion. God, that's... Dude, as long as people continue to treat each other like that, then I, I know I'm not fucking up too bad on this podcast because we got to gotta treat each other well. Can't have a comment section where people are ripping each other apart. Dead Captain James showing so much goddamn respect for his fellow man. Puts tears in my guns that I want to use to shoot shoot you with my assault. Cronky uh, wrote in says, extremely hot take. All three games are S tier. And if you like the first two, um, I recommend you also try Prey. Stop trying to recommend me games, dad. All right, new, co- new commenter alert. New commenter alert. Uh, Cody Pavon says, second time comment for me. Big props to you getting my last name right. Oh, did I get your name? Pavon? Oh, I got it right. <laughs> Yeah, didn't even get it right at my high school graduation. Okay. Oh, man, I think I just butchered it and then got it. Okay, whatever. Anyway, Cody, thanks for the recognition. If I fuck it up again, uh, please don't call me out for it. Just let me feel good. Uh, let me feel good about making you feel bad. Please and thank you. Uh, but anyway, your comment continuing on. Um, this week, I write, I write in with a possible spicy take. Took last week off from work uh, to, for the release of Hogwarts Legacy. I see it from a few people that they didn't even know the game was being sold on Xbox because of Sony owning the marketing rights to the game. And the exclusive quests um, aside, I'm glad that Sony had the rights because Microsoft slash Xbox had been marketing, had the marketing rights. We would have seen no marketing at all for an RPG that was truly fun to lose hours into. I'm Let me, wait, let me try to see what's, con- wait, what it, I'm trying, I'm trying to pick up on this. I think I'm missing something here. Cody, are you, are you, are you, is what you're saying here that Microsoft is really bad at marketing and so that if this game was marketed as like an Xbox game, because that, that's how it is, the third-party games, usually they go with one of the big players to get a marketing deal for the game so that whenever you see the commercial on football games during commercial breaks and things like that, it'll be like, boom, PlayStation logo and then a Call of Duty ad or it'll be like uh, Xbox ad, uh, logo and then like a Tomb Raider ad or whatever the case may be. Um, so I know what you're talking about, but is what you're insinuating that Xbox... It's really bad at marketing because, listen, that that's not a spicy take. I don't think Xbox has been particularly great with, like, typical mainstream marketing. I think they've been really good with their internet marketing. I think the Xbox team has done a pretty exceptional job, actually, when it comes to, like, YouTube videos and social media presence and, and, and just kind of, like, the new age marketing tactics. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, like, big TV ads and, and billboards and things like that, Xbox is definitely not what it once was. But I think that has a lot more to do with their output and a lot less to do with their marketing team. Um, although I, I guess I see what you're trying to say a little bit. It's just, it's surprising to me that 
some people just didn't know this game was on Xbox. Although, obviously, that is why uh, I, I should say it would be surprising if like gamer people didn't know that. But uh, that that there's a reason why PlayStation falls all over themselves for these marketing deals, and why Xbox historically used to care so much about these marketing deals is because it does matter when you're trying to market to the masses. You know, the people who maybe own a PlayStation, but they're not big gamers. They just kind of own a PlayStation. They bought a couple sports titles and a God of War game or something like that. Um, it is important to have these kinds of ads because when your ad constantly drills and, and associates your brand with whatever game, even if that game is available on four different platforms, it, it kind of suggests to people, one, the game is only available on our platform, and or two, um, sure, you might be able to get this on Xbox or PC, but the marketing is suggesting you get it on PlayStation. That is the place to get it. And you guys know what I'm talking about. I know we've all gone through that before where maybe you're a multi-platform console gamer. You have an Xbox and a PlayStation or you have a Switch. I used to go through this all the time back when I was a bigger Nintendo fan where like, ah, the game was marketed as a PlayStation game or, oh, the game was marketed as an Xbox game, but I really wanted to buy it on like Wii or some shit like that because I was a stupid kid. And, um, it sucks because sometimes like the marketing kind of effective marketing will make you kind of feel like a dumbass if you don't if you're not playing on the right console you know it's it's one of those things it's like you're not part of the in crowd if you buy Hogwarts Legacy on Xbox and just to doubly make it so uh, you get an exclusive mission only on PlayStation so yeah that stuff happens and it's it's effective marketing no doubt so I guess of course there are people who fall for that stuff and don't know that maybe Xbox also has Hogwarts Legacy but I don't really know about the whole Xbox dropping the ball on marketing I'm not I'm not poo-pooing the idea entirely I just I, I would need some more argument I, I would need some more evidence for that argument to kind of see exactly what you're trying to make there but I appreciate writing in Cody hope you have a wonderful week and please for love of God your job misses you go back to work the Wizards will be just fine with that no I'm kidding I hope you enjoyed your week off and glad to see you're enjoying Hogwarts Legacy as many are all right, Clanky writes in and says, Halo good. Uh, no, the comment reads, Over the past six months, I've played through almost every Halo game. Halfway through Halo Wars 2 right now, and I haven't even touched the Spartan Assault games. I really think Halo Infinite is the most fun to play. I've been so enamored by the Halo universe that I've actually been reading books as well. It's a rich universe with so much cool lore to explore. Gotta say, feels like I'm 15 years too late to the Halo party. Either way, I'd be interested to see if 343 could do a darker Halo story with an M-rated game. Well, I mean, Halo was M-rated up until Halo 5. Halo 5 was the first Halo game to not be M-rated, keep in mind. Um, although, I think at this point with what's happened with Halo in recent years... Um, an M rating on a 343 Halo game would probably just mean that Master Chief's going to show his fucking ass cheeks or something like that. But listen, man, I think it's awesome that you're just now getting into Halo. And yeah, you're right. There's tons of cool lore. I find the books to be a little dry, but there's often really good nuggets of information and world building in them that they are still worth it to listen to if you can get yourself through one or two of them. But um, yeah, I mean, I do. You're, you're playing one of the greatest video game series of all time for the first time. Like that's that's awesome. Like, who cares if you're late to the party? You you get the amazing uh, honor of being able to fall in love with and experience all these games for the first time in a, in a time where all of us who've had many years of experience with Halo would probably kill for the opportunity to experience these games for the first time all over again. So that's awesome. It's cool to see um, that the franchise is still, you know, reaching people in, in this world where you have to write off 343 and Halo entirely just because um, you, you didn't love Season 2 of a multiplayer battle pass or some arbitrary bullshit like that, that people can still... Um, you know, just connect with this game series and still love these games and have a great time with the series. And honestly, I don't think it's that crazy of a take to think that Halo Infinite is the most fun to play. And, and, and you know, Clanky, if anything, I think voices like yours matter so much in trying to keep the record straight with where we are with Halo because so much of this, like, 343 should be taken off Halo. 343 doesn't get Halo. So much of this kind of sentiment is so tone deaf to where the market really is 
you look at like the player count for Halo 4 and the sales numbers of these games and how the engagement of these Halo games and 343 has been an objective overall success with the Halo franchise because when you remove all the little entitled 37-year-old bearded, balded, fat man like myself who are like, Bungie, Halo 2, Bungie, Xbox OG, um, fucking, I miss when I drove my 2003 Ford F-150 and Daughtry would be blasting on 99X everywhere I went because George Bush was the president. Listen, when you take those people out of the equation for a second, I think 343 has done a great job of modernizing Halo and making it still within the spirit of what it's always been about while while making it accessible for modern gamers. And I think your voice matters so much in, a, in, in conversations like this because so, so much of the time the Halo conversation is just drowned out by longtime Halo fans yelling over one another about what they think Halo really means and what it's really about. But the reality is... 343 is clearly creating games that connect with modern gamers because someone like you who doesn't have 15 years of experience of Halo under the belt can play these games today and you don't have the blindsided nostalgia of why Halo 2 is the best game I've ever made and you're fucking wrong if you don't agree with me. And instead, you're able to play through and be like, oh, Halo 1's great. Oh, Halo 2's great. Oh, Halo 3's great. You know what? The new games are kind of better than the old games. Just going to say it. They're kind of more fun. And I honestly, I think you're 100% right. That's one of the things I love about 343. I think Halo 5 has a fucking kick-ass campaign despite the fact that everyone is told by their favorite YouTubers they have to hate it and that you're not allowed to like it or else you won't be in the cool kids club because the fact of the matter is 343 know how to make a damn good single player campaign first person shooter game and they've done it three times already with Halo and um, doesn't surprise me like I I'm sure if you pooled a lot of people who have no experience with Halo and you made them sit down over a weekend and play a couple hours of every main entry in the Halo franchise I'm sure many people would tell you that the newer Halo games are better than the older Halo games take out all the nostalgia, all the Mountain Dew Code Red, all the youths and childhoods and in adolescent years and seminal years of growing up with this franchise. Take all of that out of the equation and just put the games on display. There's no denying. The modern games just, they, they, they look and feel and hold up and play better because they're newer, more, more modernly sensible games that I think are really great. We're just so picky and so entitled these days that we just, we can't appreciate anything. Anyway, OG Man writes in and says, a little carryover from our Twitter conversation, but shout out to Disney Virtual Magic Kingdom. I knew you'd remember what I was talking about, man. Spent so many hours on that game after school. My mom is a teacher waiting for my mom to take us home back in the day. Dude, shout out to Disney uh, Virtual Magic Kingdom for those who, uh, remember it oh my god disney virtual magic kingdom was back in the era where every company kind of lived and died every brand lived and died by like can we get a web-based flash game on our website to engage with the youth remember like lego and mcdonald's and disney and nickelodeon everyone just had to have like a website with games to play uh because it was like the only way to get the kids of the time to like fucking pay attention to your brand and this is before like iphone games and shit like that and yeah i remember this stuff so well dude i remember sitting down watching disney channel and just constantly seeing ads for virtual magic kingdom it's like a mmo disneyland kind of game and Dude, it was awesome. I used to play that game like crazy because I used to be like, I, I've always wanted to go to Disney World, but I'll never get to go to Disney World. And then I would just like play my little virtual Magic Kingdom and be like, Space Mountain is so cool. I wish I could go to Space Mountain. And uh, yeah, that, that's a that's a nostalgia game for me. I remember playing that at my neighbor's house. I remember playing that on our family computer that like 75 people used to share because there's way too many people in my house growing up. And um, yeah, dude, that's that, that shit's 
deep in my nostalgia. Uh, also, shout out to Virtual Magic Kingdom because if you if you didn't have a computer that could run like Toontown or something back in the game day, also shout out to Toontown. Games like Virtual Magic Kingdom or Club Penguin were so so nice to have because you could run them on any potato of a machine. Because you know for. For younger listeners who don't remember this time period, there was a time where it was like basically like half of all household computers in America just couldn't run anything better looking than like the Oregon Trail. So like it was really nice to be able to have games like Virtual Magic Kingdom that you could like play in a web browser or that had small downloads, whatever the case may be. Because even running shit like I remember like on our older family computer when I was like eight, just like struggling to try and get on RuneScape and like all my friends would be like, we're going to play RuneScape together. I'm like, I want to play RuneScape. My, my computer can't even fucking handle it. So I do that. Shout out to those days. Like you could buy, you could buy a $49 Android phone with a mid range uh, chipset in it now and, and play, play games that look five times better than the games we used to play on computers through web browsers. But yo, know, shout out to virtual magic kingdom. That stuff unlocks, um, that early two thousands nostalgia that I just, uh, I don't think I'll ever be over that stuff. I don't, that's the way people like are just endlessly nostalgic for like the, uh, the eighties and stuff. That's, that's always going to be me with the, uh, late nineties, early two thousands. It's just a, a wacky time. Indeed. All right, let's talk about some gaming recommendations. Compassion Choice LLC writes in and says, Hi, Xbox on family. Hope everyone had a uh, has been having an enjoyable 2023. Jesse, you are getting closer to the big 200. Uh, n- not me. I'm, I'm almost 28, not, not 200. Uh, bravo on the work and the dedication. I've been working my tail off uh, at this new badass electrician position, and I haven't had much time at all for games. In fact, in the last four weeks, I haven't found anything that has grabbed my interest. It may be an unpopular opinion, but I put a one I put one and a half hours into Hi-Fi Rush and didn't enjoy it. Anyone have any recommendations? Just got Hogwarts Legacy. I'm going to give that a try. Give it a fair shake. Hopeful that it will res, uh, resuscitate my gaming passion. Cheers, everyone. Also, Taco Bell is good. Well, first of all, dude, shout out to the new gig. Awesome for you. Happy for you. Hope you're loving it. Hope you're making great progress there and really finding a lot of fulfillment in that. And thank you for writing in and uh, hope you're having a wonderful year as well. Dude, what a great write-in. Um, first of all, OG Man responded to your comment with a recommendation that I will second. He says, Red Dead 2 has inf- is infinitely replayable. Also, Mass Effect Collection is on Game Pass, and it may be my favorite game ever, even though I just played it maybe two years ago. If you're just into multiplayer, Halo Infinite and Warzone are free. So these are great recommendations. The only thing I would say is that uh, you said you haven't had much time for games. And even though I would say... I want everyone in this godforsaken world to play Red Dead 2 because Red Dead Redemption 2 is so good. And even though I, I don't have enough experience with Mass Effect, I'm pretty confident it's a great game. And it seems like everyone in the world loves that, those games. Those are good recommendations. The only thing I would say is because you do say that you are uh, you haven't you know you don't have much time or haven't had much time for games, I would say those multiplayer recommendations are pretty good because multiplayer games are always great when you don't have a lot of time because you can pop in, play a couple matches. It's a low commitment. Pop out. You're good. Go back to whatever you're doing. Um, I would say, honestly, if you're looking for some, if, if you're looking for some smaller games, something that takes a little bit less time, I would recommend going over to Game Pass and checking out some of the games that are only like four to six hours. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush would have been a great one, but you said it didn't, it didn't resonate with you, which is totally fine. So you know, so that's fine. But I would recommend still games that are kind of in that breadth of like a four to six hour experience, because uh, you might find something you really want. Uh, a lot of times when I'm trying to get into gaming, but I'm just not feeling it, I try to shoot for something that's a little more narrative focused than something that's more um, gameplay focused, because sometimes the story in the world might grip me if, if gameplay isn't gripping me. So in that case, 
Try one Life is Strange games. I think Life is Strange True Colors is still on Game Pass. Also, sometimes the thing that works for me if I'm trying to find a game to play and I, I don't have, like nothing's clicking, is to just download like three or four games that are all very different from each other. Like go to Game Pass, look at three games that look kind of interesting, download all three of them, make sure they're all very different from each other, and do like 30 minutes on all of them. And then generally what will happen is you might like all three of the games, but one or two of them will stick out a lot more than another one. And then that way it will kind of like kickstart an interest in one thing or another. SD Gundam Battle just came to Game Pass. That game is pretty fun. I played the demo of it. Uh, it's, if you want just dumb action, that's a really good time. You know, something like As Dusk Falls, again, if you're looking for that more, um, just like something story-based to kind of get you gripped into a world, but not necessarily demand so much like skill or gameplay. Tinykin, I absolutely adored Tinykin. That's on Game Pass, so I highly recommend that still. Actually, I think that just left Game Pass, didn't it? Uh, may no longer be on Dead, uh, on, on Dead Pass, De on Game Pass, so... That one, a uh, little, little asterisk next to that one. Um, Psychonauts, if you never played those, those are both in Game Pass, really fun games. Rage 2, if you just want to dick around in a big open world and, and play some game, that's I feel like that's one of those guilty-less um, guilty pleasures where like you can play like five hours of it and then quit on the story and not feel bad about it, but I've had a good time nonetheless. But honestly, man, the thing I want to, aside from just a couple game recommendations, the thing I would recommend is normally like, I don't know how it works for you, but like normally for me, like when I'm not in the mood for games, when I'm just going through one of those multi-week periods where I just don't really want to touch my Xbox or play any games, I try, I used to be, they used to like kind of upset me because like, man, I, I want to work on my gaming list, but, but if you're just not feeling it, you're just not feeling it. I would recommend because life is so short and there are so many things to do and gaming is only one of them i would recommend maybe just lean into it like if you're not feeling gaming right now maybe just kind of kind of enjoy that and uh and be like okay well what's another hobby you love i don't know maybe you're like really into wrestling and you like the wwe and you like to watch wrestling or maybe you're maybe you're into like woodworking or maybe you just love shopping or maybe you love you know whatever the fucking case may be like i i have my many different hobbies sometimes you know, I, I'll get, I'll get really into, I'll lean super hard in my Disney shit and I just want to spend all my free time in the parks or I'll just really want to play games. And that's kind of the thing I'm feeling, or I'll go through a phase where I'm just like kind of into music real bad for a minute or I'll just be whatever it is. You know, we all have our different hobbies and I, I feel like it's always kind of a blessing when there's a hobby, you know, you love one that you, one that's like one of your major hobbies and you're just not feeling it for a while. I always see that as kind of a blessing because it's an opportunity to lean into something else. Maybe go read a book or catch up on a TV show. You've always been meaning to watch because maybe while video games aren't really singing to you, that other thing will a little bit more. And then it, it kind of helps for you to have that feeling of like a well-rounded kind of um, kind of life and experience, right? Like it's it's always good to feel like you know I don't read enough books, but so so it felt extra accomplishing and special when I finally read that book or like oh, I finally caught up on that TV show I've been meaning to watch for two years or whatever, you know? Or it's like I I looked into this thing I've always been curious about and I developed a new hobby altogether. I just always think those things are really rewarding and that it's kind of like a like the universe telling you like go explore explore some other things. There's lots of cool shit in this world outside of gaming, so. Maybe, maybe just kind of lean into it, embrace the time off, and come back to gaming when you're ready to. Um, or, you know, you might just get on Hogwarts Legacy, like you said you got here, and you might just fall in love with it, and that's also entirely possible. But thank you for the ride-in. Hopefully, between all that, you're finding something uh, worth chewing on or thinking about. Um, but let us know how it goes. Let us know. Maybe you uh, take up kayaking and you find a, a new side of yourself you didn't know existed. All right, we got a couple more comments here. Let's uh, speed it up. We got Mao coming in, and he says... 
Mr. Maug says, I'm sad to see Knockout City go away. It didn't start off as a free-to-play game. It was a service game. I think it just transitioned over to that after a few months. Really fun and unique game. That's totally right. I completely forgot about that, Mr. Maug. Also, that team deathmatch mode on Apex Legends makes me want to give it a download. Uh, if you're enjoying Gotham Knights, by the way, I recommend getting Batman Arkham Knight, preferably on PC because it's only 720 on Xbox, 720p. Regularly goes on sale for like 5 10 bucks. I already have all three of the Gotham game, the Arkham games. I have, uh, yeah, all on Xbox just from various years of like sales and games with gold and things like that. So I, I that's a good recommendation. I would do it on PC per your recommendation. It's just I already have it on Xbox. So whenever I get to it, I'll, I'll just play it there. Um, I, I know I want to play those games one day. It's just it's just one of those things where, I don't know, time. <laughs> but um, thank you for writing in, Mr. Mag. Hope you're having a great week. Kronky wrote in real quick and says, uh, just want to point out that the whole Activision buyout was uh, when it was announced, uh, everyone was like, isn't Bobby Kodak stepping down? And yeah, this is why. The deal may not even happen. They'd be in a worse spot than Ubisoft right now if he stepped down and the deal was under this amount of scrutiny. Wow, doesn't it seem like this comment should have been read at the top of the show when we were talking about this? Thanks for writing, Kronky. And actually, our final comment also comes from Kronky, but a couple people chimed in and he says... The Coalition, Gears War Studio, best team Xbox has. They didn't just, uh, or sorry, it's the best dev team Xbox has that they didn't just buy five minutes ago. And whatever they choose to work on, I'm here for it. I really think that the team at Xbox uh, is is the equivalent of Naughty Dog or Santa Monica. Certainly less respected, but of that quality. To which, honestly, Kronky, I completely agree. I, I've said it before on this podcast, and I completely agree. I, I do think the Coalition is kind of Xbox's Sony Santa Monica. For those that don't know, that's the team that makes God of War. Or Naughty Dog, which for those who don't know, is the team that makes The Last of Us and Uncharted. Um, I, I agree. I think what the Coalition did with Gears of War 4 and 5, I think, is... Insanely satisfying, quintessential Gears of War combat experience, but modernized and made even more addicting and fun than it already was in the earlier games, while also making the games a lot more cinematic and emotional and story driven and just feel so much more investing than the. In the first three games definitely had some good story moments and some good character development, but I honestly think Gears 4 and 5 are so much better than the original Gears games. And yeah, I, I agree completely. I think the Coalition is such an underappreciated team. Uh, to which Compassion Choice also says, Yes, they, the team has a stellar talent. Personally, I'm very sad to see them only spend it on the Gears franchise, which is why I'm tired of it at this point. Why shudder the new ideas? Such a travesty. Compassion Choice, I do agree that it'd be fun to watch them do other things, but as I mentioned last week on the show, it's just with the way Gears 5 ends, it's like it's one of those rare exceptions where it's like, I, I want to see them wrap this up before they move on to something else. I don't mind if Gears 6 is the last Gears of War game or the last Gears of War game for a very long time, and then maybe we pick it back up in 15 years. I don't care. That's fine. Just make sure that Gears 6 follows Gears 5 and has a satisfying and appropriate ending because Gears 5 is very much, I think, like I said last week, it's very much an, an Empire Strikes Back kind of game, and I just I don't see why you would just stop for so long right there and go do something else. So I'd like to see them finish that up. But then, yeah, after the fact, I would love to see the Coalition take on some new ideas and create something from the ground up because I, I have a lot of faith in that team. I think they're pretty great. But, guys, with that said, that's it for our podcast this week. All the comments, thank you all so much for writing in. Please leave your comments for next week. Feel free to reach out. Talk to me. Tell me why I'm stupid. Tell me why I'm smart. Tell me why I have a tiny brain that has a high output. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like it's like people bragging about the megapixels on their phone. But it's like, who gives a shit? Megapixels only mean so much when, when you got a shitty lens. You know, the lens matters. The aperture matters. All these things matter. I got a tiny brain, but it's putting out a lot of thoughts real fast. So think about that next time you want to leave a comment like that. But for those next week, I, I urge you, I implore you, don't be shy. Reply. 
That is it for this week's podcast. You guys, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope you're enjoying Hogwarts Legacy if you're playing it. If not, I hope you're enjoying something else. I hope you're spending time with your loved ones, eating some delicious food, being well, taking care of yourselves, and uh, living productive, happy, fulfilling lives. And uh, if you're playing on PlayStation, I wish just the opposite because I'm a console warrior and I have to defend my brand. I'm sorry. It's just how it is. I think you're less of a person if you didn't buy um, a $500 piece of plastic from a major American corporation uh, that just laid off 5% of its work staff for no fucking reason. And um, also, oh, yeah. Also, if you're playing Hogwarts Legacy, another thing I just want to say because I have spent five hours with the game, uh, you're all a bunch of transphobes and I fucking hate you and J.K. Rowling's a piece of shit. Um, also, I think that uh, the, the sky should be changed to the color purple because the color purple is insanely under represented uh and i also think on wednesdays everyone should be uh forced to wear their uh, their boxers over their pants not under their pants because why the pants gotta get all the attention all the time that just is no fair but until next week guys have a great one take care and power your dreams <laughs>